Welcome to episode 471 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Welcome along to episode 471 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good and I'm still loving that music. <laughs> He's loving, l- it. L- loving it. Uh, and the band played last night, John, and I have to say I was a little bit average. I was, I was, uh, a, bit, I was a bit crap last night. It broke my heart. Because uh, uh, the thing is, when you're playing in a band and you're not as calm, you know, look, my, I'm not a great musician. I'm, I'm okay, but I, I'm still very much kind of beginner level, especially when it comes to playing in front of people. I've got to practice like crazy before I go. And yesterday, my sister turned up for my uh, my nieces and they're good kids, but they were killing my practice time. And so, uh, I, was, I was a bit average. I was a little bit disappointed, John. So next week, I'm going to be sharp. Nice. Got to improve these things. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com Social Networking for Endurance Athletes. Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. And our awesome team of patrons. That's right. And today we're going to name a few. Uh, Richard, the golden one, Lonsdale. Phil, the fillinator, but you've got the material provider. Richard. You came up with that. <laughs> don't, Pedersen. Don't, don't, don't try to put that on me. Phil's not happy about it. He likes the fillinator. Yeah, well, it's definitely the fillinator. Yeah. Uh, Christian, the Oslo Express, Sheander. James Pick has got two. I'm not quite sure why, but Age of Danger and Hot Lips. And Thierry Bessardi, DLS, which was Dirty Little Secret. Dirty Little Secret. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week, and we've got two interviews today. John, who have we got? We have David Warden, who is a man who is involved in Iron Cowboys trying to do 50 Iron Distance days in 50 states. Uh, so it's just a ridiculous a 50, 50, 50, 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. It's a gigantic gigantic um, challenge he's got in front of him and we're going to talk to him about that. He is uh, Iron Cowboys coach and really just trying to help him get through that and also an interview with Levi Maxwell who was an Australian who was the second age grouper overall in Kona and he was recently first age grouper overall in Ironman Cairns and is uh, looking at potentially turning pro. And I will say at this junction... If you've got some good female pro, uh, not some top female age groupers um, that you think would sound really great on the show, send them through to us because I'm very aware that we've had a number of really good male age groupers both recently and over the years, but we're kind of lacking a little bit in the females. So if you've got any good people, um, make sure you flick them through to us with their details and um, I'd be happy to get more top female age groupers on because they obviously bring a, a slightly different dynamic to the table. Okay, go on, John. So... I'll insert music here.
got to write this down. You've, you've added another process to my job. So oh, nice. full on, I tell you. Um, so now we are here for news, John. Okay, so news. For first of all, the big race that we had last weekend, which I'm sure all of us were keeping our eye on, was Ironman Germany. And John, it sounds like it was a very tough day at the office. It delivered. So a bit like uh, Coeur Lane the week before. Then this week we had extremely hot conditions again. But one thing I would say is that, that these hot conditions don't seem to slow the pro athletes down ridiculously <coughs> so. Um, for age groupers, yes, it certainly makes it for a much tougher day. But I really just think that the pros spend so much time training out there in hot conditions. You know, They don't have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and be done by 9 o'clock. They just seem so much better conditioned to it. And yes, there is a slowdown on the run. But by and large, the times, and especially at this race we're going to talk about, are uh, not significantly slower. So it was uh, yeah, Ironman Germany or Ironman Frankfurt, the European Championships and the men's field <coughs> did not let us down. Bevan, just goodness sake, just pull yourself together. Mate, I'm struggling, mate. I'm struggling. I've got a bit of a sore throat. But I'm oh, here, mate. I deliver. God. Well, the man that did deliver at the weekend was Oh, nice, nice. Well done. And uh, I think there's got to be a few people, uh, pros now, looking at this result and it's got a little bit of the Brownlee effect going on because you're looking at the dude now and you're going, how the hell do we beat Jan Frodeno? Because he is always going to come out uh, at front in the swim, if not at the very front, right at the, in the, within that front pack and, and often leaving some of the, the big names behind. He swam 46.02. Uh, in the past, you go, oh, Jan Frodeno, ITU guy, fantastic runner. He's going to be a great mm. swimmer. But can he really handle it on the bike? He rode a 4.08 in Frankfurt, which is an uh, incredible time. It is a fast course, but firstly, he put three minutes in Sebastian Keenlay. Now, Sebastian Keenlay perhaps didn't ride quite as well as he has in the past, but he's still putting three minutes into a guy who's an absolute beast on the bike, uh, but then you're putting in, uh, what is it, nine minutes into guys like Frederick Van Leerd, Bastider, and um, you know, six minutes into guys like Andy Boucher, um, 10 minutes into Tyler Butterfield I mean those guys are the the real deal and he also did it solo it's not like he was sitting on anybody's wheel so 4.08 is a spectacular time and And then of course record in a a race like Germany because you know over the years Germany's had the best field all the top athletes really that we've seen in this sport in the last 15-20 years have raced Germany so to pull off the bike record there that's really saying something isn't it when you're not renowned as a biker. Yeah. You know, if this was someone like Norman Stadler who just goes out there and he still puts on a good run, but when you are known as a swim runner and you go out there and lay the smack down on the bike, very impressive and when you do it solo. so And then he still managed to do a 2.50.49 on the run for a total time of 7.49.48, despite it being you know close on 40 degrees on the, on the run course. And there was definitely some instances and some examples that I saw where in a, train, in a aid station, he was, walking he was actually stopped and he was putting his head into a big bucket. So it's not, you know, he, yes, he went 2.50, but you kind of wonder what sort of run he could, he could do if it was fair conditions, you know, I, I really think he could run 240 flat on that run on that day, 
without too many dramas if it had been, say, 20 to 25 degrees. So, man, if uh, Kona's a different beast, and we know that, and it's a different dynamic on the bike, and he, he won't be by him, well, it's unlikely he'll be by himself where he can dictate terms, but you've got to think that uh, he is going to be the red-hot favourite come October. So a couple of things. So, so Keenley did lose his water bottle early on in the bike, so uh, that, that was something that may have played up for him a little bit on the bike, but... You know, last year, you know, you've always had this theory, if you go hard in Germany, you screw your Kona. But last year, Bikinle kind of proved you wrong. He's kind of the first guy who's actually ever done it. Um, do you think this performance does, like, Fredino's such a, such a phenomenal athlete, but do you think that could play? Well, all the other big guns are there. I, I, I think he's just going to be such a hot favourite. If he has an, his, you know, if he races to his potential in Kona, you can't see anybody beating him because he's just going to be so much head and shoulders above everybody on the run. Now, he didn't show at this day. Well, he did, actually. I mean, he ran 250, and you go, well, that's not ridiculously fast. That's the but all the other guys are yeah. running 256, 258, 254, 257. Andreas Rayleigh, great to see him on the way back. He ran a 252 to do an 809 um, in sixth place. But, you know, when you're... 11 minutes in front of the guy who crushed everybody in Kona last year, that's pretty impressive. And it's not like it was just a one-on-one contest. You did have Frederick Van Laird and all those other names that I mentioned. So he beat a top-quality field. So Sebastian Keenlay, good on him, still had a great day, 8.01.39, but not as good as the previous year. Andy Boucheret was uh, third in 8.03, Bastida in 8.05, so really close racing. Um, Frederick Van Laird, 8.07, and Andreas Rayler, as I said, in 8.09. So then there was quite a big drop-off to Tyler Butterfield and Nico Lanos, but that's a, it's a top quality, uh, top ten. Yeah, field. That's, that's quality, isn't it? And then, but you had an eleventh place. I know. I, mean, I know we've talked a lot about the guys, but eleventh place you had uh, Daniela Reef, who had an equally crushing day. Same sort of deal, you know, absolutely dominated the dojo on the the bike and ran a 306 so her splits were 52 minutes swim 447 on the bike and 306 on the run for an 851 so very impressive but you would say that she has the potential to go a bit quicker on the run as well but uh, again you've got to say that she is the raging hot favorite for for Kona um, but uh, you know you still got Rennie and, and all the other girls there that'll certainly uh, try to duke it out with her but if she races again to the, the potential that she's got um, you've got to think that she's going to going to take out Kona. Well, one thing she did do is she broke Chrissy's record at Germany, which mm. is which is really saying something, you know, because Chrissy Chrissy was a, you know was a freak, but Daniela seems to be kind of, you know, maybe it's going to be this year's Kona is going to be fascinating, isn't it? It's going to be great. Um, yeah. But we also had some another great performance there from Julia Geiger, who's from, from Germany. She went 52 on the swim, 455 on the bike, and 309 for a, for a 901.58. And Caroline Stephan was um, a little way off the pace, uh, back in third, and 911, so 20 minutes behind Daniela Reef. So we saw some very close racing from the guys, sort of second through to sort of about seventh, um, the girls field wasn't quite as strong as what it was last year but um still a pretty bloody impressive performance by daniela reef so just robert breeling sent through an email saying that 13 percent of the field didn't even start the race <laughs> but had picked up their race numbers and ne- nearly 19 percent did drop out you know so it was a massive dropout rate 
Mm. Um, so just a yeah, bloody hot day at the office and it looks like it might be set to continue with a few more of the European races coming up. You know, we've got Roach coming up and I'm in Switzerland with that heat wave coming over. It makes life a lot more difficult. Now, I did watch a little bit of the race uh, coverage. It was on uh, Sunday night New Zealand time, so I saw a little bit of the, the bike ride and I've got to say, Fredino just looked like he was stomping it. It was impressive and especially on the, the second lap of the bike when he was passing age groupers that looked like they were reasonable age groupers. Man, just going fast and so quickly. They weren't big roly-poly sort of people at the yeah. very back of the field. They were guys that had you know aero kit on and stuff and he was just flying past them. Um, in terms of the live coverage, I've got to give a big thumbs up to, to WTC. You know, they've been playing around with this live GPS tracking as we've gone through the year and they've now got a tab on the live coverage with the pro leaderboards and it's basically got exactly what you want out of the um, the coverage. You, know, you can tune in at any time and you can go, boom, where is, you know, I've got my favourite pro who's not going to be leading the race but he's uh, he's might be down in 10th place and it yeah. gives you pretty much instantaneous feedback on um, the, where they're at and how far down they are on the leader and just live positioning so I did, there wasn't any maps or anything there that they tried doing in, in Melbourne earlier this year which was all a bit confusing it was just a, a leaderboard table telling you at that one time how far they are down on the leader it was it was fantastic um, so in terms of the picture coverage for me in New Zealand it was quite broken up um, and not especially clear like what we've seen from say Melbourne or from some of the challenge races uh, that may have been my connection I'm not quite sure um, but they had the same consistent commentary team with uh, Greg Welsh and uh, what is it, Michael Lovato. Uh, I think those guys do a fair job. Um, but uh, again, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it would be nice to see a bit more of the power data coming through. You know, they often say, oh, and, and so-and-so is riding along at the moment at 300 watts. And I think kind of they maybe need to bring in the experts a bit more, and maybe they did that. I didn't watch the whole coverage, but, you know, it would be more interesting to see uh, an, an, an analysis come in and say, right, through the first 90 Ks, um, Andreas Raylert has averaged this sort of power output and what does that actually mean rather than just taking a snapshot saying he's travelling at 47 kilometres an hour at the moment, he's pumping out 300 watts. I think for the purists like myself who you know get power, it would more be doing that analysis after different segments of the race. But overall, I thought they're definitely heading in the right direction. I love their, their pro leaderboard that they're doing. One thing that was a, it's just a general concern thing for me is you know, this is the second biggest race in the world and there's no sort of naming sponsor. They used to have Spark Ace for, for a long time, but, you know, for the second biggest event we've got in the world, not to have a naming sponsor, you kind of wonder what's going on there. Um, but there was just some, some observations from me from outside. Other than that, it was uh, looked like a pretty successful event. Well, it is interesting that there's not a naming sponsor in Germany because, you know, like if, if we look at kind of fandom, Germany is one of the biggest areas for our sport and, you know, like you go to Germany when we were doing Rote, I don't know if it's still the case for Rote and, and Germany, but well, I am in Germany is they get all day TV coverage or at least hours of TV coverage and so you think that that kind of exposure in, in a big city like Frankfurt 
it should be easy to attract the big sponsor. So maybe it's something we don't know, but it is very interesting to see that they mm-hmm. don't have one. Jombo, this weekend we've got another kind of iconic race coming up. It's definitely an awesome time of the season to be if you're a lover of the sport because we've got Ironman Challenge Road. Oh, sorry, not Ironman. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, that'll end you up in a bloody court case. <laughs> exactly. We've got, what's the name of their sponsor? Da- Datev, I think. I Datev. don't know if that's how you pronounce it. And uh, um, yeah, Datev Challenge Road. And should be an interesting day at the office. I would say, you know, I think it was last year or the year before when they had their 30th anniversary, they they pulled out all the guns in terms of trying to get a top quality field. And I would say that this year, the field certainly is not as strong. You still have some, some great guys racing, but not quite the same caliber than what they had was either last year or the year before. So you have uh, Timo Bruck, who is back to defend his title last year he won in 7.56 and last year we had I remember last year we had that great women's race you know, had Marinda Carfrey and Rachel Joyce and, and a few others in there Marinda Carfrey last year went uh, 8.38 running down Rachel Joyce uh, we had Nils Fromhold in second and uh, Nico Lanos uh, third last year and last year and then the girls we had Carfrey, Joyce and Stefan all mm. uh, duking it out so I uh, can't say that we're going to see any course records uh, this year. You know, Andreas Raylert holds course record at 7.41 on the guys' side, and then Chrissy Wellington is 8.18, and I just can't see anybody getting remotely close to that. that, that is, that's phenomenal. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That, that's just crazy. I mean, I, I know Rote's a bit faster than Frankfurt, but you know, we're talking up what Daniela Reef did, you know, with with her time just over the weekend. Well, well, go, Chrissy ran a two forty four that day. Mm. Wow! So the course record for the run for a by mail was Rasmus Henning. He ran a two thirty nine. Oh, wonder how Rasmus did the other week. Did we? Did we? Yeah, I, I can't remember. No, we didn't. He, he certainly didn't. Wasn't out there in terms of the high but, rankings. But back in two thousand and ten, two thousand and ten. So it was obviously fast day two thousand and ten because Rasmus Henning ran a two thirty nine, which is you know we don't see many sub two forties out there in the, in the game. Chrissy on the same year was only five minutes behind Rasmus. Mm. Man, that's that's just wow, mm. awesome. So, very impressive. This year, lining up on the guys' side of things, we have Timo Brach, Nils Fromhold, uh, Clement Alonso McKenna, and probably the one that's going to be of most interest will be Andrew Starkowitz to see what he can do on that bike course. We know what he did in Florida last year and uh, just setting it alight. So you most likely see him, you know, especially when it's not such a strong field in terms of practice <laughs> filming and things like that. He will just go out there and rip that course to pieces and then see if he can hang on. on the run, um, Timo Bracht is you know he's a fantastic runner, so we'll see what sort of damage he can do uh, coming from behind, and that's you know that's the, the that's the big part of the field. You know you got those four there, and then the rest of the guys are, are much more your sort of second tier pro athletes. I mean it's a big big pro field. You've got uh yeah you probably got about forty five odd guys, but those are the the main protagonists. And Thomas Howard was back in the game. Yeah, he keeps going every yeah. year. Doesn't he? And yeah. Pete, you got guys like Pete Rabusic in there as well. So but, does, does uh, it, do we need to like really? This year's field is definitely. It seems like Rote's losing its kind of top level pro. You know, like if we look at Germany, like it used to be that Germany and Rote were very much kind of. If you looked at the field, they kind of were on par. You know, mm-hmm. whereas it seems to be in the last few years that wrote other than last year's females race, obviously, but this year in particular, if you look at the females race, it's definitely not that strong. Uh, is Rote starting to lose that, that top level appeal to the pros? 
Uh, I would have only only thought maybe this year. Last year, I think the last few years have still been still been very very good. Um, I, one thing that I couldn't easily find um, in my hours of preparation that I do for the show <laughs> every week was uh, what the prize money's like and and wrote um, in terms of relative to to other races. So I just think that. Yeah, there's so many different events mm. on, and one thing that may affect some of these mid-year races now is the strategy that I agree with that WTC are doing is trying to get the the Kona qualification you know sorted a little bit earlier in the year because that's the feedback we have from the pros is they want to qualify early so they've got plenty of time to prepare for Kona so you know by having say Ironman Melbourne and say um, Brazil and the North American Championships those big point scoring races sort of through March, April, May um, and then your sort of last one now and that we had over the weekend <clears throat> yeah maybe that the top top pros are going to try to qualify early and then put all their their eggs into the into the Kona baskets. So I certainly don't think it's over for rope, but they've they've just got to work a bit harder than, than some of the other races because they don't have that lure of Kona qualifying points. So yes, it's a it's a definitely a weaker field this year. Um, but last year I remember talking about this race and it was a it was a sensational field. So well, well the girls' watch field the was space. sensational last year. I don't know if the guys' field was so sensational because if, if you look at Germany right now, like you look at that top ten from Germany last week. That's a very, very strong field. You know, that's that's you know, you've got podium top three finishes from Kona, you know, all the way down. Whereas the male field, you've got a couple guys who are really, really strong, and then after that, it's it's kind of second tier. And mm. the girls field, you've got a couple top girls, but really the girls field's actually they've only got fifteen pros this year. Like I, don't, like I you know, I just think this is something that needs to be talked about. Mm. Girl side of things, Yvonne Van Vlerken is uh, seeded number one on Torsten's rating on tryrating.com. Uh, expected to come in at 8.52.15. Uh, Gina Crawford's second second seed uh, in nine, with the expected time in 9 hours 47. And Anya Berenek is in third in 9.03 expected time. Then, as we've been said, it does drop off pretty, pretty quickly. Um, one name of note who could could or could not maybe do something is Laura Bennett. She's in there, uh, ranked number eight, and she's obviously uh, Greg Bennett's wife and been a former Olympic distance star. So if she can pull it all together, uh, who knows what she could do, but she's certainly got plenty of talent. So I think... Most likely, it's going to be a battle between uh, Gina Crawford and Von Van Vlerken. Gina will probably be out front. She'll probably be a little bit behind Laura Bennett early on, and then it's just a case of uh, whether Yvonne Van Vlerken can chew up that time that she's going to lose in the swim on the bike and the run and take Gina Gina down. But it'd be kind of, I'm sure Gina has not won this race before, and it'd be no. pretty pretty big for her if she could. She's had some great races. She's had plenty of sub-nine-hour performances now, um, but to win one of these major races would be a big deal for her. So uh, fingers crossed she can do the business. And they also have uh, a challenge right this weekend. Um, they're hosting the Triathlon Business International Global Conference. So just trying to get together the, the leaders in our sport uh, together in one place just to try to talk about the the landscape of where we're all heading I guess outside of the Ironman space so good on uh, good on the guys that wrote for organising that Other races outside of Kona? Outside of, sorry, wrote this weekend? It's a good question Bevan, I didn't even have that in the show notes and you pulled that up on me you got, you got the link there Have I? Yeah We've got uh, Maybe I should look Ultraman in France We've got uh, Triathlon uh, Vittoria in Spain and we've got the Coswold 226 in the United Kingdom and also the Bastion in Kent in the United Kingdom as well. So there you go, John. What's that? 
the Palms have just got so many races know, in the it's UK crazy, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Okay, so John, some other pieces of news that we've heard this week is that Ironman have now changed the start times for the Ironman World Championships. The men's race will be starting at 6.25am. Uh, the girls will be at, or these are the pros, at 6.30. And then the age group men will leave five minutes later than what they left last year at 6.55. And then the age group females will leave five minutes later than they left last year as well. So it's a 15-minute gap between the men and the females. And they're leaving at 7.10am as well. Yeah, so just some some small changes um, there. I, I did have a look because um, I was wondering. Oh, there's only five minutes between the pro men and the um, pro men and the pro pro women. And I thought, God, you'd, you'd think some of those top pro girls would catch the tail end of the pro men's pack, and they do. But I, when I had a look at it, there was only six guys. There were six guys that swam in, but more or less an hour flat last year out of the pro athletes. So you would have uh, they, they would be getting caught by the very fast girls. They swim the, the fastest girls swim around about fifty four to fifty five. So they would just catch the tail end of those guys if they were lucky. Um, but I don't recall that having a big influence on the race. You know those. Those tail end swimmers of the men's pro field are usually very strong on the bike and they'll ride away from those girls pretty quickly. So yeah. I don't really see that having a big influence. And the fact now that you've got 25 minutes um, behind for the age group men as opposed to the pro woman, uh, I think it makes it increasingly difficult for the age group men to catch the pro woman. And they, they're never going <clears> to, <throat> unlikely to have an influence on the winners of the race if they're that far behind. But where I think they may have had some influence in the past is when they come through and drag through some of those tail end yeah. female um, pro athletes and they pull them up a little bit, which is uh, which is not fair. So I think the losers out of this, it's, it's a slightly better situation for them, but it's still a real challenge is when you have all the age group women starting behind the age group men and they've got to ride through that field so the fact that, and, and swim through the field so the fact that they've got an extra five minutes there means that that's more likely to happen on the bike rather than on the swim it's a lot easier to pass people on the bike obviously than the swim so the overall I, the only I have John is what happens to the cutoff time at the end we know it's normally 12pm but if you're a, someone who you know once you know a female who's done sixteen fifty, but you don't you don't you don't get your bloody medal because so, so do they delay the cutoff time by ten minutes? At the other you side, asked, you asked me the same question last year, and I still don't know the answer. You've had a year to do your research, so <laughs> uh, sort your crap out. I think it's such a small number of people, but yeah, I, but I still, you know, like there are people were you know getting under that seventeen hour mark is the goal, and uh, you know ten minutes. Is the difference between you know a successful day and not? And if you do a sixteen fifty, you've still got under the technical time because it's seventeen hours. So I'm just curious to see what shifts. It, maybe can someone email us who was there at the end last year? Did they kind of acknowledge that and did it kind of go that five ten minutes later after the fact? So last year it was only five minutes difference, but this year will you know will be ten power. Tw- you know, do they have a difference for females and males? And it gets a bit complicated, but you know you do feel a little bit ripped off for some of those females who you know that, that ten minutes does make a difference. I think they should be ripping everybody off a lot more, in my personal opinion. I probably am not likely to go back to Kona anytime soon until they actually make it wave starts. I mean, we can see wave starts everywhere else, and it uh, it was just, yeah. Until they do that at Kona, I'm unlikely to go back, and I don't Why? see any. Because it's just a ridiculous mess on the bike. It's just, it's it's no, A, it's no fun, um, 
but it's just impossible not to draft. And there's just, you know, you just saw the packs and packs of people that were pulling into all the aid stations. And it's, uh, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't. The only reason I can understand why they shouldn't do a mass start is because, uh, because of the Big Bang, the TV coverage at the beginning. And I just think they should spread it, spread it all out. Yes, I know that creates some, some challenges in the water when you swim over the top of people. But if you get to Kona, you kind of, you know, you're used to that and you just need to suck it up. And, um, and yes, it's going to mean that there's less time in the day to be finished by midnight, but I don't see any reason why the 17-hour mark, you know, if you're going to Kona, then you need to be able to finish in 16 and a half. You know, at, at Frankfurt in the weekend, uh, I think it's a 15 and a half hour cutoff. Um, they don't go till midnight, or I just, I know that it's, I think it's 15 and a half hours. So I think for the for the, the small cost, you know, there's that handful of people that are going to be in that 16 and a half to 17 hour bracket. I was You're dead to John. Oh, you're dead to me. Yeah, um, but I think in terms of looking after the masses, uh, I think by spreading the start out over say a thirty-minute period or whatever, I think would have such a positive impact on the the rest of the race that uh, it would be worse. It'd be worth the cost of uh, cutting the allocated finish time by 30 to 45 minutes. Well, Jombo, you'll be happy because in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Austria, they are doing the split start or the wave starts. And that's great. Um, the one thing that really confuses me here, and I'm sure they must have a good reason for it, is the race is not starting until 10.45 in the morning. Yeah, so, is, so do you, is it just so it's a bit of spectator experience? Because it's the middle of the day, so if it's a hot day, that makes it you know pretty tough. Yeah, no, there may well be, and maybe we should find out if anybody knows why they're not starting till ten forty-five. So that, yeah, I agree, it's good here. You know, they have ten forty-five for the pro men, ten forty-eight for the for the pro woman, and then the age group is sort of start just before eleven o'clock and are spread out over one hour, which is fantastic. But I do wonder why not start an extra forty-five minutes earlier and spread it out even more. Um, but yeah, it's going to be. I'm really looking forward to this race this year. So it's the seventy point three world champs and. Austria. The bike course is impressive. It's got a gigantic climb in the middle of it. You, the elevation changes, I think, about 400 metres. It's damn steep in places. I was looking through it the other day, and there's pictures where it goes, you know, well over 10%, up to 15%. So I hope for you people that are preparing for 70.3 Worlds that you have actually looked at the course profile and you've got the appropriate gearing on your bike because it looks like a doozy and it should be it should make for a fantastic race for the elites because it, it, it allows for those guys that are bit better on the bike and it also is going to isolate some of those guys that are a little bit weaker on the bike so looking forward to that later in the year and this is going to be run on the 29th of august so that's coming around real soon it's a little bit earlier because normally it's in september but you know it's normally around that time but anyway jombo um discussion of the week so this week's discussion was james botel sent it through it was a really good one was what technologies are what technological advances in technology are uh, you expecting either funny, real in the next period of time? And also, where should we draw the line and make rules in our sport? And we got some good answers here, didn't we, Jumbo? We did. Joshua Hickey was saying uh, a permanent course will be built that does, does not cost the logistics of one-day race setup. The course will use new technology like Strava to post results that can be used for training camps, races, time trials, etc. And will be located close to an airport to attract people who can't train on the weekend in their city due to overcrowded roads. Interesting you say this, Joshua. I can't realistically see that a um, a... Ironman course will be set up, but I, there are places around the world now, especially there's one in China where they basically 
built a purpose-built triathlon facility where you can swim. They had a closed road bike course and uh, and obviously a run course as well. So I think you're right. That will start to happen. We'll see more swimming venues connected into to, to bike venues. So, um, yeah, I do see that coming. Mark Dixon's got virtual training so that no one can lie in bed on Sunday morning. And, oh, you can still lie in bed on a Sunday morning and get the benefits of long winter rides. Tony West aid drones so rather than eight stations on the bike leg when we need something we press a button on the, on the bike and a drone drops a bottle or gel down to us nice, nice. that is that's very cool uh jens Jew olsen has got a draft zone indicator an indicator mounted on the bike that shows the distance to the bike in front of you that's got a cool idea isn't it i'm going to take that one step further and you can and- get penalized no, it could do that, or it gets integrated into some sort of brake system that if you're in the draft zone, automatically your brakes go on and it forces you to go back a little bit further. Oh, oh nice. So it actually influences your bike. Well, that's what Rob Ryan's got. He's got one that then reports at the end of the ride how much drafting you did to the official, gives you the warning, and then reports you in if you ignore the warning to be made mandatory for qualifiers and prize winners, whilst the rest of us are allowed to be as social and enjoy the sport with other like-minded people. Darren Jones has got a good one. Um, live GPS tracking for all athletes, including virtual pacing for the increased, increasing number of races with rolling starts. So I think that's a great idea because yeah. it's going to be so challenging. Well, it is so challenging to know where you are at the race, even when it's a normal mass start. But with, with these rolling starts, you, know, you just don't know where you are. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that one will come. I have to say, that is a really cool idea. Like, imagine if you're like on your Garmin or on your GPS watch, had, mm. you're currently 15th in your age group and it's two minutes ahead to the next guy. Mm. You know, that'd be really cool information because that'd be such a motivator, wouldn't it? And it's, yeah, it's very realistic. I mean, I don't think that'd be very hard to do at all. Okay, uh, Matt Downing's got a uh, heads-up display on TT uh, Henley Visor, guaranteed to be coming soon. I like the one from Zoe Young as well. She says, sensors in your clothing that tell you your hydration status. The thing is, all this stuff, you know, like, really? Yeah. Like, they were living fascinating times. Um, okay, Daniel Yu's got a place counter, which tells you your overall standing. Oh, yeah, we kind of really had that one. Cool one, though. I heard David Doughty. Um, the next step is automatic transmission, where you enter some parameters and your DI2 works with your power meter, cadence sensor, etc., to put you in the optimal gear, all control, controlled by your iPhone. So essentially, you just get on your bike and you just pedal, and your bike will put you into the, the perfect gear for you to be getting your optimal performance. I like it. James Bertel's got a similar one here. He's got the, also, he's got a device that tells you how, you how to swim the course correctly. So basically, you just kind of listen to your device, it tells you if you're going straight. Although he's saying that already exists. so It does, um, definitely does, yeah. yeah. Uh, a bike that changes gears for optimization and power output. Uh, a run calculator that calculates pace needed to achieve set pace, pacing at the finish. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people covered the sort of things that I was thinking about. You know, I'm really thinking better, better coverage is, is certainly uh, around the corner. I, I certainly think that there's... Um, one area that I'm quite excited about seeing is a bit more of the GoPro type coverage from within the race, um, especially in cycling. I think that will be on its way. I saw some footage from, I think it was um, the Tour de Suisse or somewhere, where they, one athlete had a GoPro camera coming into the sprint. It was 
sensational just seeing the movement within the pack it was so different such a different camera yeah. angle to what we see on tv so definitely think you know that sort of stuff um because cameras are getting so much smaller in the years to come that'd be kind of cool to see some footage inside that that big pace line in kona would be kind of cool um I, d- I think also a bit more cooling devices um when you're on you know in terms of the materials and what have you for for the hot races and then um as some people have sort of said you know on course feedback in terms of what you were saying bevan about you know the we look at your watch and where you're at or if you run past different points on the course you can look up and there'll be a big screen telling you your exact position how far away the next person in your age group is in front of you the other part of this question that we had last week was where do we draw the line with this technology and um, one thing that I that does concern me is we're just pricing a lot of people out of the, the competitive edge of the sport. You can buy so much now that it's mm. going to give you a big advantage over people that cannot afford it. You know, the, the, the difference between a top-of-the-range bike and an entry-level bike is pretty significant, and um, I would rather see that sort of maybe a step backwards, just trying to make it a little bit more standardized in terms of not being able to buy such a big gain, um, and that concerns me a little bit. And I know there's a big shift for, you know, the iPods and listening to different things and Google Glasses and all that sort of stuff, and that also concerns me a little bit in terms of uh, just making sometimes making things a little bit too easy or um, or making people not aware of what's going on around them as they're going through the race. I think I think some really fascinating things, you know, because the tools, you know, like like you talk about the clothes. Well, imagine if your clothes could actually read your temperature and tell you what's happening right now. It will be really interesting when to see, you know, because at the moment when you think about how we race, it's very much I'm trying to make wise decisions based on just kind of feedback from within myself. You know, mm-hmm. you might use your heart rate monitor and you might use your GPS, you know, for empower on the bike. But really, like, you know, if you were to get a lot more feedback around what's actually happening in your body as you're racing, and then imagine if that device told you what would be the wisest decision to make right now. And that's a really interesting kind of thing to think about, isn't it? Because, you, <laughs> you know, like it, it might say you need this much hydration right now to be at your maximum effort. And it kind of changes the sport in that way because it there's a level of guessing game to what we do. Mm. Um, and, you know, as we get more kind of tools that give us good information, we can make better decisions around that. But imagine if it even gets to the point where the tool is just telling you, here's what you need to do right now. And, and is that a bad thing for the sport or not? Yeah, it takes away a lot of the, the fun and the challenge. You know, so many of us... You know, it takes years to get to, to get that Iron Man to actually work properly, and that's that's one of the big challenges. Whereas, if it's a case of just going out there and being a bit more of a robot, yes, it may may take away some of the appeal from from racing. So, yeah, interesting times ahead. Yeah, I think like I, I wrote a piece about this for the press this week, actually. So the whole idea of you know, so you didn't write the article about hey, it's one. coming, okay? Just calm down, Charlie Brown. Maybe I'll, how to be a whinger, John Houston. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but, but, like you know, I was writing about this idea of Google Glass. So, like Google Glass, like it wasn't a success, and and it was very much kind of a Gen One kind of product. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, it might be some time before we see a wearable device that will actually be functioning where all of us see this in everyday life. But you know, I was talking about how. You know, if you think about, often we'll have an argument with our partner, and when we have this argument, it'll be, well, you said, she, he said, she said kind of thing, where we're both disagreeing on what each other said. Well, with Google Glass, you could just rewind the conversation and see actually what the person said. And, you know, like the, the application of these these tools that we're getting into our life, it's really hard to see 
where that is going to go. But that's the thing. It's like you might be able to be – it just totally changes the game. And I just kind of – where is that line? And, and I'm kind of – I'm always of the, the opinion that we should be able to use technology to make better performance for humans. And so it, it's, it is that fine line of – like last week, I was talking about how you know with the marathon. I'd love to, I'd love to see the, to be an official marathon where you got the top guys and we go. You know what? All in with technology, and sure, it might you know might not get the official marathon world record if you do it, but it'd be really fascinating to see how that would improve human performance. And it's that line of well, do we stick with the old or we just keep innovating and accept that these tools are now a part of being an athlete? Yep, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. <laughs> Fascinating times ahead, job. But we've got a discussion this week. We have got a discussion this week, and this came up uh, a couple of weeks ago that you started um, mentioning this one. But it was an email in from Evan Collier. His question topic of the week was: After competing at Ironman Texas this past week, I was astounded to see such awesome moral fibre within the race. After witnessing races sharing bike supplies, tubes, CO twos, and multi tools, and then on the run having people sharing food and stretching out other cramp. Um, stretching out other cramping races, it got me thinking, what stands out as the best moral fibre you've witnessed during your race? So that's really the question this week. What are some of the coolest acts you've seen showing your moral fibre, just acts of generosity during races that you've seen when you've been out there racing, whether it be Ironman, sprint distance, whatever it might be. Um, I think, I'm not sure if it was Evan or someone else um, had an example of uh, someone just giving up their wheel during a, a race and just how thankful the person was for that. So some of the cool acts you've seen out there racing this week. Yeah, that's something that needs to be brought up in sport because it's actually something that happens a lot but probably doesn't get seen and shown a lot within the sport. So very cool stuff. Okay, John Boe, we've got an interview up and now, uh, on a list of sponsor. Sponsor. Athlinks.com. Here we go. Now, guys, um, we talk about Athlinks every week, obviously, um, but one of the cool things, they post a lot of good stuff on um, on Facebook. So just one way that you can really support our sponsors is go on them and support them by liking them on Facebook or posting things to their page or just giving them a, them a bit of feedback. But, um, yeah, they have got lots of cool posts on there just in terms of some stats, you know, the, some the, the Peachtree Road Race is, a, the, is a, one of their 4th of July events and they have like 57,000 finishes um, and they're just constantly posting cool little clips, um, cool little quotes and uh, it's just one way and they also got on there as well that we didn't discuss last week and good old Dave Fish sent me through this. They had uh, Gunhard Swanson at age 70 was the first, the oldest female to compete the Western States endurance run, which is a ridiculously hard ultra distance run in America, and she did it with six seconds to spare at the age of 60 in what was very, very hot conditions as well. So they've just got lots of cool, impressive things, you know, recipe, different ideas, um, and links off to some some really cool events. So check it out. Their Facebook feed is very good. Like, it's if you like sport, they've just got they seem to find these really obscure. Good information. It's not kind of just spammy crap. It's actually really good information. But that Peachtree one you're talking about, John, if you click on the link, it's gold. So a guy's coming in to win the Peachtree, and he starts celebrating, and he gets beaten on the oh, really? line. A guy sprints past him. Nice. So, so it's very good. So, yeah, you make sure you like them, guys, because they are really good at getting good content out there. And, uh, and it's just good you know, for us athletes, stuff we like to see. It's really good stuff, and it's not just that kind of, you know, kind of crappy stuff. It's actually got some really good info. So, they've got a picture here of um, a university 
somewhere, and I'm not sure if this is a piss take or not, but they've got a, a set of stairs at a university and it's got three lanes um, sort of painted on it. On the left you have the walking lane, in the middle you have the running lane, and then on the, the, the right-hand part of the, the stairwell you've got the texting lane. Really? Oh, nice, nice. I like that. So check it out, guys. Athlinks.com. It's the best place to keep all your results in one place. And at the same time, get on their Facebook page uh, and give them a like and just show their support because they have been supporting our show for many, many years now. Okay, guys. That's Athlinks.com. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up. Now, David Warden, for those who have been in the podcast world for a long time, David Warden was one of the original podcasters like us. I think it was... Art and Zen of Try were the first, first guys pretty much out there. And then I think it was pretty much us were second. And, and then a couple of us came along. But one of the big ones at the time was a guy called David Warden. He had a, a podcast called Try Talk. And uh, he kind of did it for a while. Then he stopped and then he came back and he stopped again. But as we talk about in the interview, David is one of those guys who is very kind of loves to geek out on the kind of aspects of the sport. And John and I really went for more of a kind of a newsy kind of segment based show. So David's show, while it hasn't continued on, it's definitely one that you can go back to and listen to and learn a lot of really valuable information about. But he's been helping Iron Cowboy on this 50 50 50. So we thought we'd get David on the show just to have a talk to him about. You know, what's the Iron Cowboy going through? What's the experience like for as a coach? What do they need to consider and so on? So, let's get on, eh, Jombo? Let's do it. Okay. Righty ho. Uh, this last couple of weeks, you guys will have heard us talking about <coughs> Iron Cowboy, who is rampaging his way through America trying to do 50 iron distance, uh, not races, but 50 basically iron distance training sessions in 50 days across 50 states. And obviously he's going to be out there doing it, so probably doesn't want to talk to us or doesn't have the capacity or capability to do so. So we've got somebody who has the inside know of what's going on. His name's David Warden. Um, We can talk a bit about what he does as well, and he's going to give us the inside scoop. So welcome along, David. Thank you, John. Thank you, Bevan, for having me on today. Well, I'm sure lots of people probably know David from TriTalk. Are you still doing TriTalk, David? No, I'm I'm not. I uh, really enjoyed it. It was a great uh, method for me to gain a a little bit of uh, a following. I really launched my coaching career. I had a great time for several years, but I'd say now it's in syndication. You can still listen and download to the ep- download the episodes on try-talk.com, but there hasn't been an active uh, episode now for about a year. Now, now, and for those who are listening who haven't listened to David, his show was a lot more technical with John and I. You were kind of winning the geek out kind of factor, and so as much as it's archived, it's not really like ours is very much kind of weekly news, whereas yours was very much more detailed coaching so it's still a good resource to go back and listen to well i appreciate that thank you so so what's what's your involvement in iron cowboys um rampage across america well i've been coaching james now for a couple of years he and i have actually been uh, good friends for almost 10 years now and uh, he approached me about uh, three years ago to help him with a uh, a world record attempt in the in total number of ironmans in a year or ironmen in a year at least recognized by uh, the Guinness uh, World Record Foundation. And uh, he came to me about two years ago and said, I'd like to try and do 50 Ironmen in 50 states in 50 days. And at the time I said, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, it, it was two years away. And I thought uh, that's, that's an interesting goal, but he, he stuck to it. He was uh, pretty determined. And about a year and a half ago, I realized, yeah, he's serious. So we, we put together a, a training plan. Uh, so my involvement has been on the, uh, uh, as his coach to get him physically ready uh, for the attempt. 
and how do you actually do that? You know, um, you can't go out there and simulate uh, simulate what he's doing. Yeah, you know, I uh, I've had several clients that have uh, completed uh, different types of ultra events, several ultraman athletes, uh, several marathon disables, uh, ultra marathoning. But obviously, this is in a league of its own. This was something that I I did not uh, fully feel competent. In, in and uh, had to use the uh, groundbreaking work by a lot of other people, the Decaman, for example, 10 Ironman t- in, in 10 days, uh, the uh, 30 Ironman attempt that was done in, I think, Lake Guardia a couple of years ago um, by several people that pulled off 30 Ironman in 30 days. So it had, it had been done before. I felt like what James was, was wanting to do was, was po- in the realm of possibility. And so getting him prepared for that um, we, uh, you know, used a lot of the same systems as, as, as uh, uh, I hate to say conventional ultra distance because they're so crazy in their, in, in their distance, but uh, just used a lot of the same techniques as you would for an ultraman, for an ultramarathon, for marathon disables, making sure he had plenty of recovery time. We either went really hard or really easy, built up his volume, used a classic periodization, and then just crossed our fingers that it, uh, it was going to work. You know, it, like, it seems like he's had, you know, obviously he seems to love this real kind of crazy long stuff and kind of that triathlon world. So obviously having a bit of a kind of history and a base around it. But as a coach, what did you have to shift within yourself to, you know, to, to uh, the approach, you know, like if I'm an Ironman athlete, obviously you're going to know how to deal with it. What's kind of been the shift in your perspective to make a guy like this be successful? You know, I, I, for the most part, I think I had to listen to James and uh, more than I would normally with an athlete. And I don't want to say I don't listen to athletes, but um, the relationship I have with athletes is is often they they defer to me as an authority. We talk about it, and for the most part, they'll they'll defer to my judgment, which is nice. It makes it easy for me to for me to do my job. With James, though, he he really came to me and said, "I really feel like I need more, or I really feel like I need less." There there'd be some things were on paper. If I was looking at a, a performance management chart or, or looking at a, a theory that I thought that would be uh, applicable to him, maybe a, a six day block where we'd be doing seven eight hours a day for six days, and if he came back and said, "You know," I know I'm supposed to feel tired, but I feel a little bit too tired. I would just have to reset, and and uh, and those kind of resets were quite disruptive toward the big picture. Mm. Um, and I and I uh, often, you know, sometimes it was frustrating, but really listening to him, and uh, especially because James is kind of like a, he's kind of like a Wolverine in Iron Man. He he does recover really fast. He recovers much faster than any athlete I've worked with before, and that's the only way that someone could do something like this. Is it doesn't matter what your it doesn't matter what your FTP is. Doesn't matter what your VO2 is. Doesn't matter uh, what your aerobic capacity is. Really, what matters in something like this is how fast can you recover. And I think some people have a genetic edge over others. And so, really listening to him and understanding um, what his recovery thresholds were, as opposed to maybe his power thresholds or his um, volume thresholds. It was what was he able to recover in and then build the, the system around that. So in, in terms of the planning, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get James on once he's finished doing this stuff um, and he can go into, you know, some of the stuff he was doing. But in terms of the planning, you know, we, we were discussing on our show last week, I was saying, you know, why doesn't he sort of go point to point day to day? So he's actually, you know, 150 miles closer to the next uh, state where he's going to be doing something. So what was the, the planning for, for James or, or were you not really a part of that? No, I wasn't, but I think I can give some insight into that, and I regret that I haven't been listening to your show recently so I can you know, know what you've been discussing and, and be more prepared to address that. But um, my understanding is that um, 
the uh, the primary uh, support that James had in those areas was local tri clubs that he would get an ambassador, uh, oh, okay. basically a representative for that area. He'd pick a city, pick in the state, and he would find what he felt was the best tri club to be able to support him. And uh, although the logistics and the you know and the geography was critical, it was also pretty important to make sure he had the right marketing support and and, and a lot of people that were going to be uh, following the event. Uh, so he would go to the tri group. He'd find what he felt was the best club, and they would actually pick the course on his behalf. They'd say, "All right, this is what we think is the you know probably a nice, easy, a relatively flat course. Here's a good place to swim. Here's a good place to bike. Here's a good place to run." Um, and he would uh, basically defer to their judgment in that area on what to do. Now, um, <laughs> you know, there I, I've received a lot of emails, a lot of calls from friends, seen a lot of of commentary that. Um, that the logistics of it could have been a lot better and he could have set himself up to get a lot more sleep and a lot more rest in between states. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that comments, uh, comment and criticism is, is accurate. Um, and uh, it, it got much easier once he got past the big, wide western states. Now that he's on the east coast heading up to the northeast, it's really not an issue anymore. He's able to get five, six, seven hours of sleep. But yeah, it was pretty brutal when he was going through California, through Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. Those were some states where uh, maybe a little bit less concern about the marketing and a little bit more concern about the geography and the physics uh, may have saved him a couple hours a day. On that front, you know, because there's, there's the factors that as a coach you have to consider. There's obviously the physical performance, uh, but, you know, normally once you've done a race, you, you, you go home, you, you eat lots of pizza, you get on a, a few beers and you relax for a little bit. But it's not just the rest that he needs to get, but he's traveling as well. So as a coach, what, what are you factoring in around that aspect of it? You know, what, once he started, there there wasn't a lot. I, I haven't done a lot since he started. The most of my work was done before. He'll ping me with some questions, but you know, really after the first few days, my feedback to him was constantly slow down, slow down, slow down. Oh, really? He just went too fast those those first few days. I felt he was going too fast, particularly on day one. By day four or five, fatigue just kicked in, and yeah. you know, fatigue fatigue makes great pacers out of all of us, right? Mm. So you know, mostly uh, my role actually since then has gone much less in the physiology uh, area and much more into the psychology and, frankly, into the spokesman, which I wasn't prepared to do. So I've spent a lot of time just giving him a lot of feedback on, yeah, you can do this. He's had some really tough days. He's physically suffering. He's mentally suffering. Um, I, uh, he's got a lot of medical questions that I can't answer, and I've had to defer him to some medical experts. So for the most part, my role has just been to get him fit enough to get there and then just be a cheerleader from that point on. So in terms of... Um the, object, the objective of what he's trying to achieve, because that's part of the reason why we wanted to get you on while it was still topical, because he's he's clearly got a cause that he's doing this for. You know, it's a massive personal achievement that he's going to go through if he can make it. But in terms of what he's trying to create awareness around, what is that? You know, his his primary goal is well. I'll put it this way: so the 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 best result that he can get out of this is to raise money for the Jamie Oliver Foundation, and that's a foundation that works for uh, helping children be educated, families be educated about good food choices, fighting child obesity. So that's the primary uh, goal he's got is to raise awareness for for that foundation, and I think he'd be most pleased if 
if uh, he was able to raise a lot of money for them and they were able to to come out and say we are so grateful for James and all he's done um, and so that that's the uh, I'd say that's the the message we want to make sure gets out there but I know James and I'll say that a very close second is that James just likes to accomplish things James likes to break records. James likes to push his personal limits. So as much as he does want to raise money for for the Jamie Oliver Foundation, I don't think, you know, he'd be the first to tell you, I think, as well on when he's on, let's say in 26 days from now when he's done with all this, that he also did it for himself. He's a coach. He's a semi-professional athlete. He's He needs to, it's a saturated market for coaches in triathlon. It's difficult with uh, to make a name for yourself. I have no doubt that a, that a secondary motive for him is to uh, help his career and to uh, be a world record holder, or at least in his mind, set some sort of, of new standard, set some sort of new goal for someone else to come and pave the way for and, and maybe have this 10 years from now, we're, we're talking about five or six people a year that are doing an event like this. Well, can I, can I ask, you know, like this, you know, this, our world's a crazy world, you, you know, like anyone who kind of signs up for an Ironman is not you really your norm. And then this is kind of, you know, times 10, well, times 50 to be precise, but um, when we think about it, what what long-term damage is he doing? You know, is there long-term damage he needs to be concerned about? Because while this is an amazing physical and mental achievement, it's got to come at a cost. Yeah, I, uh, I've i thought long and hard on that, and I can say I have I have lost sleep over that, that same question. Mm. Um, there's a couple of things that make me feel comfortable about what's happening and a couple of things that make me feel not as comfortable. One is that he has had regular blood work. He's had a couple of complete metabolic profiles done, or three complete metabolic profiles done uh, in the last 25 days. About every eight days, he's had blood work taken. And each time that's been done, he's been cleared. There, there have been clearly things outside the, the normal, and there's been, there's been elements that have been high and low within that, but he's had multiple different medical experts take a look at that. And uh, in some cases, he, he can't schedule it. He just he literally walks into an emergency room or into an urgent care clinic and says, hey, I need a CMP. They take the blood. He takes off. They call him later, fax it to him, email it to him, right? Yeah. So he, uh, he just has to do this on the fly. In each case, the doctor involved, for two of the times, the doctor really didn't know anything about Iron Man, didn't know what was going on. And the doctor said, look, I, I know you're doing something crazy. You've told me you're doing like ultra, uh, you know, endurance events. I don't see anything on here that would make me recommend you stopping. You know, you, you can continue what you're doing. Be careful with this. Be careful with this. Um, and you're, you're clear to go. He's also had a couple of EMTs, a couple of really bad days where he's actually had, you know, he's called an EMT in to take a look at him. He's rested for a while. They've checked him. They've cleared him. And they've also said, we, we don't see any reason to... Uh, to not have you continue. So there, there's one thing that makes me feel more confident that he is getting regular medical checkups. Mm. Um, we've, uh, he's got another doctor that's actually going to be meeting with him in West Virginia in one or two days from now to give him a full physical again. And so uh, as long as those continue to stay positive, the, uh, the immediate concerns are, are I think, uh, I'm feeling much more comfortable with that. The second thing is, is that his, uh, his overall times um, although they do kind of go up and down, he, he does appear to be getting, in a way, almost stronger from this every day. For example, today was one of his best events ever. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with uh, the, the temperature of the day and, and the wind and some other elements. But in general, today was one of his best days yet on day 25. And we're talking as we, as we speak. He's finished day 25 and is currently doing day 26, as I talked to you two. Uh, he, has, uh, he was one of his best times at 14 hours and 15 minutes. That's elapsed time. That's from 
the time he hit the clock on the swim until he finished. Um, moving time is something closer to 13 hours flat, which for any athlete would be a pretty amazing Ironman time if you're doing 13 hours. So he, he appears to not be getting slower and slower and slower. So there's the optimistic side of me saying, all right, yeah, he's doing okay. Now, the, uh, the, I guess the more skeptical side of me is, does have those same kind of concerns as um, what kind of damage is he doing to himself? And I think we can look at other athletes that have done the, the, the triple DECA, that have done the DECA, and those guys are okay. I mean, maybe we need to talk to them 20 years from now and, and ask how they're feeling yeah. then. But in general, it appears that someone can do 30 Ironman in 30 days and live to tell the tale. And, and not only live to tell the tale, but continue to do endurance training and love it. So I, I have a lot of optimism that he's going to be okay. But I think there, clearly it would, be, it would be irresponsible to say there's not some long-term risk. But he's going to be doing something that no one has ever done before. And so I don't know if we really know until the end. In, in terms of um, actually creating a record, I think I saw you post something the other day that people have, who, people have been following this really closely, which I, I haven't been. I've just been checking in from time to time. They're sort of saying, hey, this isn't a legitimate record and so on. So can you maybe just clarify around that, that the difference between, say, when he did go for the Guinness Book of Records attempt a few years ago when he did the 30, um, versus what he's actually doing now in terms of actually a certified record. Right. And so we probably should start by saying James does hold two official Guinness World Records for the most number of half and the most number of full Ironmen in a year. Mm. Um, there, there's some, uh, you, you, I think there's, there's cause to be able to dispute that if you're, if you, for example, look at the, the individuals that did the triple DECA. I, I don't know why they are not listed and in the world record Yet uh, that was done in 2013. I've actually reached out to a couple of the athletes and haven't received a response. For some reason, Guinness does not recognize that yet. Uh, according to one marketing um, pamphlet from one of the triple decker athletes, it says that it is a world record attempt, but I just can't find anything in, in Guinness's database. So, James, although he holds the official world record by Guinness, there's probably people that have done more. I think there there's probably certainly people that have done more than 30. And actually, James did more than 30. Um, he did much more than 30, but Guinness is very strict about what they would count. They would only count 30. So James does not claim to do the, I think it's 37, 38 in a year that, that he actually did. He only can claim what Guinness says that he actually did. So Guinness has a pretty strict um, uh, criteria for what counts as, a, as an Ironman in their, in their book. In terms of the 50, 50, 50, um, you know, I, I think I've, I have erroneously said record a couple of times here. I, I don't think there's going to be any governing body uh, that is going to recognize this as any record. I don't think Guinness will necessarily recognize it. James may submit something. I'm sure and positive that it viol he's violated multiple rules in the official International Ultra Triathlon or Ultra Ironman Association um, several times. And so I would say that it's, it's not going to be a sanctioned world record, but I feel confident in saying that he will have done something that no one has accomplished before. And it, it will be, in, in many people's mind, a, an amazing record, although it may not have the official title of, uh, of some of the uh, more credible records. Can I, can I ask, how does he fund this life? Because, um, Farah, like I, I remember when he was doing his, uh, his red record, I think we had a moment when we did, he did his world record attempt. And um, f like, the cost must be ridiculous. It is. It's, there's significant cost behind it. Um, fortunately, he was able to cover 
almost all of that through sponsors. There's oh, been great. some incredibly good sponsors involved here. Um, in fact, I, if I can name a couple of them, yeah, I think I yeah. did not, but uh, Young Living uh, Essential Oils uh, was a primary sponsor. Garmin was a huge sponsor. Rudy Project's been a great sponsor for him. And I, I, I just want to kick myself because I'm missing five or six others um, and uh, that, are, that have been key. But those are a few that come to mind. He was um, given a lot of uh, cash sponsorships from those individuals, a lot of equipment sponsorships from Fazari, for example, for, his, uh, for a lot of his equipment. Um, and uh, that's been the way he's been able to fund it, funding it enough that it was able to cover the year and a half of training as well as covering the uh, operational costs of the 50-50-50 itself. Mm. Nice. So, so what have been the main challenges um, along the way so far other than, say, you know, the logistical ones that you talked about on those, in those bigger states? Yeah, it's it's been sleep and recovery. Um, his uh, his sleep for the first ten days was just awful, and there were there were times where I didn't think he was going to make it. I thought it's just it's just not possible for him to come back around after four hours of rest. We're not even talking four hours sleep. We're talking four hours of rest before having to turn around and uh, and start the next event. Um, and uh, again, those were those big, wide open Western states, but uh, that, that sleep and recovery uh, was really difficult. Of course, on day 18, we had a scare because he fell asleep on the bike wow. um, and just was not getting enough sleep. And we had to make some significant changes on uh, the ground rules for how he could ride, who he could ride with, um, what position he could ride in to avoid that. Um, we think we've got that taken care of now that he's getting he's getting more sleep, but really that's been the the biggest problem is the the recovery and the uh, the sleep. There was one day I think it was uh, when we were going from um, f- from into Florida, so that would that would probably be uh, Alabama into Florida, uh, where he had fallen behind about an hour a day for several days. Uh, and uh, his wife, Sunny, who's just a fireball, she's another person I hope you'll consider. If maybe if James lasts to day 35, get her on this program for an interview <laughs> as well. But uh, she's been a, a real driving force behind this. She, she contacted me and said, we have to get him back on schedule. And we looked at it and said, there's no way to do this unless he basically does not sleep. There's no way to get him back on track unless he finishes one and he's basically just got to rest for a couple hours and start the next one. And, and that's, that's what he did from Alabama to Florida. I don't think he got any sleep at all. He finished one. He got worked on because he does have quite a bit of, of uh, physical therapy he goes through to help the recovery process that is, we think is critical to his recovery. Mm. And he went right into the swim at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, in Florida. Well, what about so, nutrition? Yeah, um, nutrition, I'm, I'm not heavily involved there. His wife has taken full, full charge with that. But her philosophy has been uh, real foods, natural foods. Uh, she does a, uh, a, a low-gluten, low-dairy diet. There's no allergic issues there with James. And I know that when people hear low-gluten, they kind of go, oh, brother. <laughs> I'm not sure the, uh, the, you know, the reasoning. It's not a non-gluten. She's just gone low-gluten. Low it's a high-paleo diet, I think we'd call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but lots of real food. James loves uh, eggs, loves pancakes. Pancakes in the morning, um, and on the bike he's not. You know, he's not eating uh, bars or gels. He's eating burritos, mm. uh, so he's eating real food um, all the time. And uh, for a while there, we were uh, not managing his weight properly. Uh, I think about day seventeen uh, or sixteen, um, we just said we have to do this every day. I have to weigh in every day to make sure we know where he's mm. at. Um, and uh, he had lost. He'd only lost five pounds. 
um, to day 17 from his, his start weight, which wasn't too bad, but obviously that trajectory is unsustainable if you're continuing for another 35 days. Um, so we just said we have to stay on top of it. And, and once James knew that you know, he really could only afford to lose maybe five to eight pounds over the entire 50 days, he was a little bit more diligent about, about eating uh, even more. And we've actually got him back up to the point where for the last couple days, his morning weight has been the exact same as day one. So we had somebody post on our Facebook page that he's getting the daily IV drips. I don't know if that's correct or not, but is that part of the part of the recovery process? And obviously, yeah. for some people, that doesn't fit right. Yeah, and I, those are those are legitimate concerns. That that was never part of the that was never part of the plan, um, and they're definitely not daily. I, I would say that I I can't give you a count of how often it's happened. My understanding is that that's happened um, probably at least six times. And uh, I am not receiving updates on every time he's getting an IV, but uh, he has received an IV several times, at least six that I can think of, sometimes twice, uh, sometimes two bags in a mm-hmm. day. And that's been part of what's gotten him back up to his race weight. Um, and that's, that's exactly why I, I would say that I, I can't argue with people who say this is not a sanctioned um, uh, record attempt. And I, I, I'd say I, I totally understand. But it really depends on, uh, you know, it's interesting that when you look at uh, the, uh, I don't know, the Ultraman or the, uh, let's say we look at Ultraman. I mean, at Ultraman, you're, you're allowed to have a crew and you're allowed to have someone that kayaks with you on the boat. Now, if you're doing it, you know, from an Ironman perspective, that's cheating, right? There's no yeah. way that we would allow anything like that to happen in Ironman. But we make, we make an exception. We recognize that, hey, this is a, a different event. We're going to change the rules for uh, for an Ultraman because it uh, it's a little bit different. And so we're going to allow some assistance. We're going to allow a crew. We're going to allow someone to be along beside them and pace them on, uh, you know, be with them in the swim. Um, I'd say that the 50-50-50, there's, James has not made any claim that I'm aware of that this is a sanctioned event or that he's, that he's even following any rules but his own. So I think the, the critics have legitimate concerns. It's not a sanctioned record in any way, but he's breaking new ground. And I think that it's very likely that 10 years from now, people will be doing a 50-50-50, and there will be rules in the 50-50-50, and those rules may include a certain number of IVs in a day, just like we bend the rules for uh, other ultra events compared to an Ironman. We uh, might have different rules and standards for the 50-50-50. So James is, is really pioneering a new event, and, uh, I, and I don't think he's made any claim that he is, is doing uh, a sanctioned or following the same rules as, as previously established events. What about mind game? You know, uh, I can't even comprehend where he is within his head right now, but, uh, you know, he's obviously a pretty strong soul and he's obviously, you know, he's had to play this game pretty well because of his previous experience. But do, do you talk mind strategies as a coach or does he kind of share some insight into how he gets through yeah. these kind of, you know, long, continuous days? Yeah, I would say that I, as a, as a coach, I'm I'm pretty bad at that. I don't I don't mean I'm bad at uh, at giving advice. I don't give bad psychological <laughs> advice. I just think that I I'm not. I, I lack a little bit of empathy. I think sometimes to, to be able to give them that advice. So I would say as a coach, I probably failed him in that regard. I I am more of a numbers guy. I'm more of a, as if you listen to the podcast, maybe you can relate to that. To mm-hmm. much to try talk mm-hmm. at least. Um, my uh, you know my version of feedback is. I look at the data and said, 
this is what you did well, but your left-right balance sucks. Can you please change that? And, th- and that's really, you know, th- that was my plan in terms of feedback. That's changed a lot. Um, if you've, uh, James has a blog at ironcowboy.co, mm-hmm. it's not com, but ironcowboy.co slash blog that I've been managing. And I've had to kind of change into a, a spokesman and a cheerleader uh, from, from a coach. And I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with that. It's very, it's very new to me. Um, but uh, his wife, Sunny, and I have had a couple of good conversations, and she's let me know that he he needs to hear more positive things from you and needs to hear that kind of thing from you. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel uh, much more comfortable now doing that for him and giving him that feedback. But I'd say that the, the best uh, psychological feedback he gets is from his wife, from Sonny, and from the people that show up at the, uh, the 5K and the bike rides. If you've been following on Facebook, you know that he's had dozens and dozens I don't want to say hundreds, but I think it's been close to of people that have come and joined him on these rides in these five Ks. And that, if you can imagine, you're you know you're coming in on a after a long bike ride, and you go to start a five K, and there's 45 people cheering you there to start the race. Yeah. That helps a little bit, right? That helps yeah. you. That helps you get off the bike and start the marathon. I hope he's keeping uh, draft legal distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have not being there, but I cannot verify that. <laughs> So um, any, anything else that you want to get out there, David, in terms of what he's doing, what he's trying to achieve? Um, obviously, we can r- refer people to his website and, and obviously to, to try to generate money for the Jamie Oliver Trust. Um, but any, anything else that, that, that either you or he really wants to get out there? You know, I, I would say that uh, the, the one message that I would like people to consider is that uh, from a personal level, James has made me believe that that people are capable of doing more than I thought they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've known James forever. I, I went into this eyes wide open with the 50, knowing the 50, 50, 50, I, I accepted this. I'm not getting paid by James at all. This is, this is purely because I felt like it would be good for me as a coach to, uh, if he succeeded, I felt like it would be a good, a good deal for me um, to do. But I went into this and I felt like it was most likely he would not, he would not get past day 20. Uh, I felt like it wasn't a matter of necessarily his fitness, but a matter of logistics. And there was so much that could go wrong, so much that could go, only one or two things had to go wrong and hundreds of things had to go right for him to be able to get this far. So I was pretty skeptical that, uh, that he would be able to, to complete it. But, uh, on day 25, I just am, I'm just amazed by, by what he has done and what he has pushed through. He's, he has suffered a lot. We've had conversations where he's been very close to, to finishing, where he's been very close to quitting um, and has not quit and has pushed through. And uh, it, it's hard to find uh, an example of a voluntary act of an endurance event as big as this. I'm sure there are many people who have suffered more clearly, who have had to go further and longer, but as far in terms of a voluntary act going if he manages to go to 50 days i didn't think it was possible and i'm his coach you know 30 days ago and now i'm i'm a believer that uh that people in general not just james but people are capable of doing much more than we think they can do mankind is able to do more than we think they can do you know I, you know i know that you know this this kind of goal is always vulnerable right until the moment you cross the finish line um but in your mind is there is is there a moment where you think if he can get to this point Unless something kind of really crazy happens, I, I think he's there. 
Yeah, you know, I would say at day 20, I became extremely optimistic. Um, the uh, If you look at his map and where he has to go, he's still got to go through some of those uh, northern Midwestern states. We still got some big territory to go through. But when you talk about the Northeast and his recovery time, he's going to be able to fly through a lot of that area. Um, and uh, and again, as I look at his at his data, his his watts is getting higher. His times are in general getting faster. His mood when I talk to him is getting better and more optimistic and positive. The crowds are getting bigger. So 20, day 25 is hump day. He's over the hump, but it sure feels downhill. And, and again, maybe I'm overly optimistic again, but about day 20, I became a real believer. And on here on day 25, I'm very optimistic. And I'd say that my, uh, I've gone from he is most likely to fail to he is most likely to succeed. Uh, nice. so, just one last question. Um, what about the down of finishing it? You know, like because I'm because like far out, this is going to be such a high. Um, to get to the finish of it, it's going to be such an, a sense of achievement, and and I'm sure after it, there'll be a moment where the celebration and and lots of kind of attention gets put on you and all that kind of stuff. How, how do you deal with that? I think you better ask James yeah. uh, in another 26 days. Um, I don't know. Um, I. Uh, I, I imagine that my guess is that um, James right now is thinking I'm never doing anything like this again and I'm going to sit on a couch for the next two years <laughs> as soon as I'm done. Um, but, but knowing James, he's got something else up his sleeve that, uh, that you're right. If, if, he, if he doesn't have any long-term physical mental damage either, my guess is that he's actually got something for two or three years and from now that is uh, similar to this and will try and, uh, and do something else amazing. Nice, no, pretty amazing. So, so, in terms of you, David, um, if people want to follow you a bit more, you haven't got the podcast anymore. But in terms of uh, people getting in touch with you or any coaching services and stuff that you offer, what's the deal? You know, the best way to get a hold of me is I um, at this point I have a pretty proprietary coaching system. I've just got a waiting list, um, and the the podcast has given me a, enough of a, of a client base that uh, I don't need to actively market it at this point. But if anyone wants to contact me, I'm always open to to helping people with questions, comments, referrals. I have a lot of other coaches uh, that I work with that I'm happy to to refer people to that I believe in as well. But you can reach me at David at dwcoaching.com. The only real website is try-talk.com. You can learn a little bit more. More about me there, and uh, you can listen to uh, uh, hundreds of hours of uh, old podcasts going back to uh, 2006. Um, but David at dwcoaching.com is the best way to get a hold of me. Nice. Uh, we appreciate your time. It's yeah. given us some great insight well, into, I, I, into what's I going for, on out there. I appreciate your time as well because I, I imagine for you, this is taking up your life right now in ways that you probably hadn't planned for. So I'm sure, sure while <laughs> it's really rewarding and it's kind of exciting, I imagine you, the rest of your life may be struggling a little bit right now. Yeah, I actually I envisioned it as more like a rocket launch. That once we launched the rocket and turned it over from Cape Canaveral to Houston, that uh, I'd be done. But uh, no, out you're Houston. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so there's been a lot more than I thought, but it's been really enjoyable, and I'm I'm glad I've been a part of it even longer than I thought. Great, brilliant. Stuff. That's awesome. Th- thanks so much for your time, David. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. Hey, okay, Jumbo, we are back. So uh, your thoughts. Yep, it's fantastic stuff. If you want to check out um, the progress of uh, how he's getting on, go to ironcowboy.co. And I love the charity that he's um, trying to support through the Jamie Oliver Foundation. I just think out, out of all the different things we can do in terms of trying to support 
different things and all the problems we've got all around the world, if we can uh, try to tackle this obesity problem, I just think it's going to solve so many of the the Western world's pr- um, problems that we're facing now. So so give give him a bit of love there, and he's still he's still going. He's we, we did that interview last week, and he's still ticked off a few more events as he's going through. But it's just going to be a I, I can't even comprehend doing it. It's a, it's a huge challenge. So good luck to him finishing off this last sort of 20 plus days and uh, we'll definitely get the Iron Cowboy on when he is done. Well, so if you go to his website right now, ironcowboy.co, uh, they've got, it seems to me the updates are a little bit behind. Um, they've got the latest tracking and it only really goes from the second. But if you go to the Facebook page, it shows photos from seven hours ago, so we're, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, but this is what, what's the date today, Jumbo? We're on the seventh of July, seventh of July in New Zealand time. So, and he was starting day thirty-one. He's ever got pictures from when he started to swim. So he's still at it. He's still ticking along. He did it. He did his fastest day a couple of days ago. So, you know, it, it seems likely he's going to get there now, which is man, it's it just blows my mind away. And as John was saying, if you are want to support him, like. Man, the energy and effort this guy's putting into kind of, you know, obviously there's some, you know, lots of personal reasons he's doing this and probably good for his, his brand and all the rest of it, but it, the cause is great. And so if you want to support him along the way and help him donate lots of, lots of money for the Jamie Oliver Food Foundation, um, go to his website and donate some money there. Jombo, we've got another interview up. Or do you want to sponsor? Yeah. We'll do sponsor, right? Let's do sponsor. We'll do sponsor. Uh, extreme endurance. A bit of a theme today because uh, we talked about Athlinks's uh, Facebook page and equally Extreme Endurance have got a, a nice uh, active Facebook page as well. A lot of their stuff is a bit dominated by the old um, CrossFit stuff but there's always some good try stuff on there with things like Timo Brandt and they've got uh, Jordan McNamara who often has some good tips up there. He's a professional st- runner from the States and uh, guys like Matt Russell as well. Well and really just talking through what products they use, when they use them, how they use them and so on. So check it out. And the other thing that I was going to point out around that, not just their Facebook page, but also making sure you're on the um, X Endurance mailing list as well. So via their website, just make sure you join that. Last week I got an email and they had some one day only sort of 20% off deal. So we all love a good deal. And uh, so Get on to xendurance.com, get on their mailing list, make sure that you yeah, look out for that, get yourself a good deal. Uh, make sure you do look out as well. Last couple of weeks we've talked about their new product, uh, Fuel Fuel 5, just a great way of getting uh, your, your different types of uh, energy sort of for your short, medium, long-term energy. So check that out, Fuel 5, and uh, along with good old regular X-Endurance of Kiwis and Aussies, if you're starting to suffer with uh, potential sicknesses, a ridiculous amount of sickness going around at the moment. Everybody seems to be getting sick. Um, one way you can help try to avoid that is to take Immune Boost, and it's just a fantastic spread of multivitamins and I know it works really well for me whenever I'm sort of feeling a bit run down it's the thing that I make sure becomes my sort of daily go-to so check it all out xendurance.com John what's Mm. the biggest deal you've ever got in your life biggest deal biggest deal you know because I get a lot of I get a lot of free stuff yeah but but it's different I mean like because when we're in Australia I bought a jacket and it, like John, I'm fashionable with a price limit. If you know what I mean? Like I like fashion, but I don't like spending that much money. So I have limits around how much I want to spend. And I got a jacket that was down from $300 to 
for 40 bucks and it was a, oh, like a really nice cool like i love it and uh and I, I was pretty that was a good deal so like what's your best deal you've ever had ah oh, i don't know off the top of my head um no, I haven't, I haven't got any gold. Sorry, oh, I haven't got no. any gold. Oh, disappointing. I, disappointing. Thought, I thought you never deal. You're a, you're a schemer. You yeah, know? That's it. I, most of my deals equals zero. But you never got the car. You know, you, you, no. you, you never got the and car. The thing that annoys me is when we bought our most recent car. We got a, a Subaru last year or Subaru. Yeah. Uh, was I, I went in there with all these great ambitions of I'm, I'm going to hustle these guys down. I'm going to knock yeah, his price. They are going to lose money on you. I just kept trying and trying. I got nothing. I think I got a free tow bar installed and that was about it. Yeah. And uh, oh, I said to Belinda, I'll, I'll get this price down. I'll get it down. Don't you worry. You just watch me. Nothing. Did she give you a hard time? Yeah, she certainly did. <laughs> okay, guys, we've got another interview coming up. Uh, Kona, second place overall winner last year. And her winner was age group in Kona. And the age group, I think it was 20... Twenty five. No, uh, younger, was it? I don't know off the top of my head. It's either twenty to twenty four or twenty five to twenty nine. But uh, and Levi Maxwell, he uh, had a great day there, and then also had an amazing race in Keynes, where he got fourth time overall. Although he did start uh, a different time to the pros, but he got fourth overall and first age grouper in Keynes. So we got him on the show, and let's put him there. This is Levi Maxwell. Righty ho! This week we have an Australian who's in Austria. Australian and Austria. Yeah, no. And, uh, That's where that Dumb and Dumber joke, remember that? I don't. He goes, where are you from? He goes, Austria. And he goes, good day, mate. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. His name is Levi Maxwell. Last year, he was the age group winner of 25-29 in Kona, also second overall in the age groupers behind uh, Dan Stoblitzka, who we had on the show fairly recently. Also, a few weeks ago, Bevan and I initially thought he may have had a sprint finish with Dylan yeah. McNeese uh, at Challenge, not Challenge Kens, it used to be Challenge Kens, Ironman Kens, but in fact, he was the first age grouper and was probably uh, started, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes after Dylan, but it was still an outstanding performance. So, welcome along to the show, Levi. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, did I saw your name sort of popping up last year when I was training for Kona and... Um, and and I think a couple of people emailed us and saying, oh, I'll get him on the show. And I was like, oh, yeah, but he's just an ex-pro athlete because uh, are you aware there used to be a Levi Maxwell who was a very good uh, junior and elite athlete from Australia? Yeah, I'm aware of that and I do get that a lot. Yeah, because that's the thing. He was, he was pretty good. He was a... Um, sort of top tenor on the World Cup level, and then I thought, well, if he's just gone over to Ironman, he's probably a little bit older, he should be doing that well, but it is not you. No, you didn't <laughs> no. become third in the Big Island ITU race in, in 2000, did you? Or, no, no, I'd like to say I did, but... <laughs> or 1997, uh, 22nd in the junior men's race at the World Champs in Perth. <laughs> no, I wasn't doing triathlon then. <laughs> but one thing that you were doing, and you've got, uh, you won't know that um, the person sitting next to me, Bevan, is a gym junkie. It sounds like you came from a bit of a uh, gym bunny background. Yeah, a little bit. I wouldn't say I was, I was uh, massively into it, but yeah, I, I did enjoy going to the gym a bit. <laughs> what sort of stuff did you do there? Uh, well, funnily enough, mostly cardio stuff, but I did do a fair bit of weights as well. Uh, I think every teenager tries to to pump iron a bit <laughs> well, what got you into triathlon then so if you're a bit more of a gym guy at first you know keeping fit through the gym and then you got into triathlon you've obviously been pretty successful so what drew you to triathlon um i was working with a uh, a guy from work was doing triathlon and 
like I told him I was just doing spin classes and stuff and he was like oh well you just come along with me one day and do a triathlon and I didn't even have a bike or anything I couldn't swim and I was like yeah whatever and he talked me into it eventually and never turned back now on your website it had some results on there and a sort of or <clears throat> your bio and I don't know if it, you had your, your first season results up there but pretty much every race that you've ever done by the look of it and I'm not sure if you included those first few ones you've basically been on the podium just about every single time is that correct? Uh, probably long course yeah um, my first season I didn't do any long course it was a sprint and Olympic and I think I started off finishing like 12th or something and then as that season went on I started getting onto the podium <laughs> yeah and, and in terms of Kona last year, um, you, know, you qualified at Melbourne and absolutely spanked it over there. Um, maybe maybe tell us a bit about your path to get it, getting to Kona and um, and how you you know you talked about your first race being sprints and and how you sort of developed as an athlete and and why it took you you know a few years before you did did Ironman and how you actually got to Kona. Yeah, well, like I started off doing sprint distance because I think that's I think you got to stamp your card as you go along, so. You know, I'd, I didn't really even know much about the sport then. I just did the shortest one I could to get through it. Mm. Um, and then sort of, you know, you, you do the sprint and then you go, oh, that wasn't too bad. And then you do the the Olympic and then you go, oh, yeah, that wasn't too bad. And you just make your way through. Um, and I think after I did my first half uh, pretty soon and I really liked that. And then I just kept training for the Ironman uh, with the hope of going to Kona one day and I uh, did my first Ironman in, at Bustleton in 2012 and came second in the 18 and 24 category and just missed out. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, so then picked Melbourne and trained up for that and had a good result there and qualified. So so you go into Melbourne, you're obviously thinking you want to get to Kona in Melbourne uh, and then you kind of you achieve that goal. What, what kind of did you change in your preparation for both races? Was there much difference or did you pretty much stay on the same path? Um, no, I took it. I took my training a little bit more seriously. I just dedicated more time to it. Um, I mean, other than that, I always trained as hard as I could. But you know, your, your time availability is a bit different. Um, but yeah, I think that you place a little bit more more pressure on yourself, knowing that you're going to World Championships. And mm. in, in terms of getting over there and stuff, how long did you have before the race to to settle in? Yeah, I went over two weeks before the race. And did you go crazy? Did you do any big mileage over there? <laughs> nah, I think the longest the longest ride I did was like three hours. So, yeah, that was – didn't do anything too crazy. Now, now you obviously did really well in Kona. You, did you know you were going to be competitive or were you kind of just going out with the attitude, oh, well, let's just see what happens? Or did you really have the approach that I want to win my age group and, and you know, obviously maybe even try to get second or, you know, top podium overall? Yeah, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I know I had a, a really good result at at Melbourne, but then I didn't know what what the difference would be at World Champs. Um, and my coach at the time had told me that you know, if given the numbers and stuff in training, that he's like, you know, you should be able to win your age group and pretty close to the overall. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, yeah, he was right. <laughs> How did you find it out there? Because you know, I was out there on the, the same day and I think I probably was in front of you out of the swim but then you probably would have come hurtling past on the bike. Um, <laughs> what did um, 
how, how, did it, how did the race sort of pan out? You know, if you compare it to, to Melbourne, um, you know, there's obviously big packs uh, in Kona on the bike. You would have stomped past a lot of them, but I, I know there was big packs in Melbourne as well. So maybe what, are the, what were the contrasts for you between the two races? Uh, I think the main one's the swim, like being non-wetsuit. And then I think as, you know, in Melbourne, I, I kind of got space a bit more, um, and I think that's just because everyone at Kona is a good, like everyone's the same ability. And then I so was just heaps more congested the whole way. So that made a big difference. Um, in terms of the the riding, yeah, I think at Melbourne, I didn't really see much of the pack. I was with myself most of the time. Uh, but yeah, you definitely going out towards Harvey at Kona, it's yeah crazy. There's packs everywhere and it's, Sometimes it's hard to get around them or hold back or whatever. Because you would have been because you did a one hundred and one in the swim, so I imagine you know there's quite a bit of congestion to work through. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's quite tricky at times. Yeah, was it was it harder or easier than you thought? You know, like you pull a bloody second overall and you win your age group. You know, you obviously done pretty well, but like going into it, you know, Kona's got this mystique and this aura and this you know this the biggest challenge in the sport kind of thing. So. Were you surprised by the event, or, or was it kind of, you know, pretty much just another Ironman? Um, I think I tried to tell myself it was just another Ironman, but the truth is, it's it's a hard race. It's it's very yeah, you can't compare it to anything. It's I think if you just give it the respect it deserves, then you'll come away with a good result. And would you were you were you stoked with your race? Did it go perfectly, or was there anything you would have done differently? Um, I think any race you always find things that you can work on, but uh, I mean, I won my my age group, so I was <laughs> I'm stoked with that. Um, but yeah, there's always like I would have liked to have swum a bit quicker. Um, you know, I, I would have liked to have ridden a little bit quicker, but you know, it's just things to work on for this this year. When you're out in the field, uh, did you know you're in second place overall? Or did you know your positioning within the age group race? <laughs> Uh, I did a little bit, but I was a bit confused. I had a few few friends out there, and they were saying, "Oh, some of them were saying, oh, you're in first, and some of them were saying, oh, first is a minute and head." And with Iron Man brain, and I didn't know what they were talking about. At first, I thought I was winning my age group, and then then I thought I was coming second. And uh, but I was fairly confident I was winning my age group. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit confusing. So um, fast forward a few months, and you you come back, and you. You do Kent's. Um, did that race go, you know, comparing it to, say, Melbourne and Kona, did it go better than them, about the same or worse? I mean, obviously you finished fourth overall, which was fantastic, and you um, won the, you know, the age group race overall, but, you know, it's always compare. You've got pretty high standards to compare against. So how was it? Yeah, yeah, I actually had a better day than I had planned on. So I think compared to, to Kona and Melbourne, I, I think it was probably a better race. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to, to ride that well or run that well, and especially coming from the Victorian winter too, I was a bit worried about acclimatising. But it, yeah, it was no problem in the end. So <laughs> very surprised. <laughs> and what's you know for people listening, you know, they hear about all these fantastic results. What's your sort of gig in terms of uh, work and stuff at the moment? Are you doing? I know you do a little bit of coaching, but is that your sort of uh, nine to five, or how you how are you sustaining yourself? Yeah, it's pretty much I pretty much coach full time, so you know that's my main income. Um, 
and uh, I've just decided to really have a crack at it this year. So um, I used to work retail, but I've stopped doing that to to focus on triathlon and yeah, try and take it as far as I can. Uh, outside of, uh, why do you think you are successful as an athlete? Uh, I think it's just consistency, like <laughs> the ability to you know find another level when you're tired and just make sure you, you do all the one percenters and you know. I don't know. It's just always that searching to be better. I think that that makes you a competitive athlete. Because one one other thing you seem to have is the ability to perform on the big days. You know, like it's if you look at your results, you've obviously got talent and you obviously work hard and you've obviously got a good machine. But you seem to be able to deliver the results, and that's something that most people in the sport, you know, it's, it's a real struggle, really. So, so when it comes to not just you know training hard and all the rest of it. What do you do in your preparation to make sure you obviously don't blow up in races and you know you can deliver on the day? I think you've got to be smart about what you do. Like when you go into taper, like you know, there's that urge that you need to do more, and you got to be disciplined enough to go. Okay, I've done the work, and you know, I got to let my body recover. And you know, you have a plan on race day, and you stick to it. Like you know, if some guy comes riding past, and you know, you set yourself a limit, and well, then you got to gauge whether or not to go with them. But nine times out of ten, from my experience, they end up blowing up, and you end up passing them again later. So I think it's just you got to be stay true to yourself. Like you, you'll do the work in your training, and then you'll make a plan off of that for your race, and you need to to stick to that. You know, ninety percent. Otherwise, you, you you're going to have a bad day. I think anyway. So am I, am I correct that I heard um, someone saying you're looking at uh, maybe turning pro at some stage in the next 12 months? Yeah, definitely. I think um, after Kona, it'll, it'll, it'll be something I'll look at very seriously, um, something I really want to do. Um, if I wasn't going to Kona, I'd probably look at it now, but yeah, I mean, I've already forked out all the <laughs> dollars to go to Kona, so... <laughs> And heading back to Kona, the goal is it to try win the overall, or is it just do you, do you, are you someone who's driven by the goal, or is it very much just have a process kind of race and see what happens? Uh, both. Like I'm definitely I'm going to go there to do the best I can do, and I mean obviously I would love to try and win it overall and go one better than last year, but then I like to take a step back and just you know go oh well just want to win my age group as well. So yeah. So in terms of going pro though, what's your sort of um your objective and your ambitions because clearly at the moment you know with your results you're good enough to be earning some money but you know if you end up getting there's lots of pros who sort of end up getting fourths fifths sixths and and to actually make a sustainable career out of that is pretty challenging so what's you know if you decide to go down that path after Kona or if you've already um, decided you're definitely doing it um, what are you you know what what are your sort of ambitions that just to go in and just see what happens or are you thinking right one day I want to be winning Kona or where do you want to take it yeah I think you've got to set like uh, plan A plan B plan C or whatever but I mean I would like to say I'd I'd want to win Kona one day as a professional I mean of course you can always aim as high as you can um, I don't want to just do it and just be a run of the mill pro but whether or not I'm good enough I don't know but I'm going to try what would change, you know, because you obviously made a life where you can kind of 
train as an athlete. So it's, it's very much it's just going to stay on the same trajectory, but obviously you're now just chasing the money. Like, will, will you commit more time? Will you maybe drop some of your coaching clients or, you know, like in the lifestyle factor, is there any change from what you're doing right now once you go pro or is it very much just the same? I think at the start it will have to be the same. I mean, you've still got to make an income and I really enjoy coaching. So, you know, it gives me something outside of myself to to think about. Um, and I don't know, I guess if the time came to it, it would be a tough decision to make. But I really enjoy coaching and I think you could do both. You know, if... Um when you first start sports, especially when you don't come from necessarily an endurance sport background, <clears throat> you see the gains come re- really quite quickly for a lot of people, and you've obviously got up to a very, very high level. Are you, are you still seeing big progression or really fast progression across any three of the sports, or are you f- are now finding it as those one percenters you're trying to trying to you know to, to get all the time? Yeah, I think I'm finding it's more the one percenters at the moment. Um, yeah, like at first, I know what you mean. Like you sort of just quickly improve on one discipline, and and now it sort of just sort of plateaus a little bit, and you just improve a little bit over all of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I know I've got a lot of work to do, and still got to bring it down. But yeah, it's just there's a swim. How's how's your swim going? Because that's always the the worry for um, you know non <laughs> non swimmers. And whilst you swim, I think you swam fifty three in Cairns, which is you know it's um, it's not bad. But you know when you're you're looking at the some of the pro guys like Dylan and, and guys like that, they're sort of swimming forty four, forty five, um, and you got your work cut out for you. How is the swimming progressing? Yeah, uh, it definitely got my work cut out for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's coming along okay. I mean, I've had the plan after Kona last year was to focus on my swimming, and <laughs> as soon as I started to get back into training, I had a bit of a shoulder niggle, and that sort of set that all back. And I've sort of um, even going into Cairns, I hadn't really swum as much as I would have liked to. Um, so hopefully now I can get some work in, um, and probably over the next six months. Is, is there specific things you'll do to do that? Is, like, do you just treat it as a volume thing, or do you break down? Do you get some technique coaching? Like, what's your approach when I say I want to improve my swimming? What's actually your approach? The plan? Uh, well, we need to get some some more volume in for sure. Like at the moment, I'm only swimming three times a week. Um, but you know, it's just very technical too. It's one that's very hard to pick up. Like, you know, I'm sure Dylan McNeese and that. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm sure they were swim back around so um you know it's it's years that i have to make up for and you know it's not one of those things where you can just improve by doing it more you need to do it better um and that's what i'll try and do i'll try and you know work on the technique and then you know then try and build on top of that so um, I see you. I assume you're still part of a group, fairly successful group in Australia. So maybe tell us a bit about them in terms of the number of bloody world champions and age group um, champions and stuff you've got going on there. Yeah, so I, I train with endurance team, uh, which yeah, you're right. They've got yeah, great, great, some, some great results and some great guys to train with. Um, uh, at the moment, I'm sort of doing doing a little bit with them and a little bit by myself and. Um. Yeah, so it's it goes really well. Cool. And um, any any other plugs you want to give in terms of sponsors or anything like that? 
<laughs> yeah, it's always it's always nice. Uh, yeah, I've got a, a few sponsors that you know make this happen. Like like I said, I used to work retail and I've dropped off on that. So having these guys support makes all the difference. So you know, I've got a shout out to CBD Cycles and Giant Bikes Australia, Bismack Designs, Mizuno, Hammer Nutrition, Hoob, the Greater City of Geelong, Compressed Sport. And anchor concreting. Well, I've just learned something there. I never knew it was hoob. I thought it was hub. <laughs> With suits. I always thought it was hub. It's hoob. There you go. Yeah. Learned something yeah. today. And what's your, what's your race schedule then? You know, you got Kona in October. What's your schedule between now and then? Yeah, so I'm going to do a half pretty soon, probably Challenge Welshley. Um, and then Sunny Coast 70.3 and then Kona. So, yeah, not, not a whole lot planned. Nice. Looking forward to it. <laughs> awesome. And if the if anybody wants to follow you, what's the best way to do that? Are you a Twitterer or a Facebooker or, or a website? What's the best way? Yeah, I've got a website, so it's levi-maxwell.com, um, which is yeah, it's usually up to date. Otherwise, Facebook. If you just add me on that, um, I'm pretty active on that. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, we look forward to seeing how you go later this year. Um, Dan Sublitsky's injured at the moment. He's been injured for ages. We yeah. had him on the show, so there's an opening there. Uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you going out there and kicking some ass. So thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks, guys. Okay, Jonbo, we are back. And Levi was a bit of a rock star. He is. And it's, just, it's always interesting to see how these... Um, guys that do make the transition across to pro whether they are, a, a, are able to keep stepping their performances up so I remember you know you, 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 like certainly Kyle Buckingham is a good example yeah. you know he was the fastest age grouper in Kona a couple of years ago and he switched over to being a, to being a pro and yeah having some some good results but not going out there and necessarily winning any big pro races you know it is a gigantic gigantic leap from being a top age grouper to being a top pro you know we know that a lot of top age groupers they can make that transition across and, and do very very well at second tier races but to actually make that jump from being a top age grouper to say a, a top 10 in Kona is a gigantic leap so we'll uh, we'll watch Levi's progress um with great interest still a young fella so it's not yeah, like he's one just of, one of the best guys has to be Chris McDonald Who's, who's yes. really made, you know, who was a genuine age grouper, came from doing nothing in the sport, came from being a bit of an overweight kind of guy who wasn't really doing much, you know, like to actually his success, although he's never really pulled off the top 10 in Kona, but he's had a pretty great career. Yeah, he's made a, he made a living out of the sport uh, and, yeah, just, just you know, he's a multiple Ironman winner, but as you said, he hasn't made that transition to the top 10 in, in Kona and, uh, and that's where you need... Good work ethic. You need to be. Uh, you, know, you, you just, just need, need a bit be, of a younger experience you, too, don't you? And you just need a bit more talent. And Chris McDonald, amazing work ethic. You know those guys like that work just as hard as the guys that win Kona or get in the top five in Kona, but they're just not as talented. Um, and that's nothing personal or anything like that. Uh, um, uh, sometimes those guys work even harder because they have got less talent. But to get in the top count. Top ten in Kona, you need all those things. Plus, you just need a little bit more talent. You don't need to be the most talented, but you just need a little bit more. Yes, so, uh, yeah, we'll see where, see where Levi goes. Okay, John, coaches corner. Coaches corner. Was it questions and answers? No, we'll just go. Well, it's a bit, bit of both. Um, yeah. This week is just one question I had in from Stefan Dooney. 
Question and answer for the podcast. My wife is pregnant and due in January. First baby for us. I realize this will be a game changer, but she is supportive in knowing that running and cycling makes me a better person and will encourage me to keep a base level up. From your experience and from a coaching athletes, what tends to happen, i.e. on average guys just go from around uh, – do they go around to go to ground for a few years, uh, or do they just sort of keep cranking it? And so I can only really speak from my experience and also the athletes that I uh, work with. And this is not necessary to say this is the the perfect and the only way to do it, but it's just my sort of take on it. Is generally, if with your first child, um, when you've only got if it's a one, not a quadruplets or uh, or twins or anything like that, if your wife is not working. It doesn't tend to be. It's it's just it's obviously a, a massive change, but you can still keep going, um, especially if your wife's not working. So you can find pockets of time to, to to keep training. If you're somebody who does sort of a ridiculous amount, then you'd have to trim that back. But if you're just sort of in that ten to fifteen hour range, um, I think it's still realistic to not be a selfish ass and end up getting divorced when you've only got one child. Um, if your wife is working or going back to work reasonably quickly after having the child, then that's a, that's a slightly different game and then it, then it does become a lot more challenging. But if she's not working, then uh, you can still certainly get plenty into your life, um, but you do need to pull back a little bit. I think the main thing for people that don't have kids uh, or have got one on the way and or are starting, you know, starting their families is when you have two, that is when it gets exponentially harder. Uh, mm. so, you know, it's more than twice as much work because you can't just sort of skive off. And um, <clears throat> there's, you know, if you've got a, a young born and a two or three year old, then you're going to the, 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 the often the male might be end up looking after the two or three year old while the wife's looking after the baby or vice versa. But two or three makes things infinitely harder. So if you are planning a family. And uh, you're thinking, how can I squeeze a bit more in? Uh, I would certainly encourage you to do that before number two or three arrives because then things do get a lot more tricky. From my own personal experience, um, just a few tips that I've got is when the child does arrive, you know, you're obviously going to have plenty of sleepless nights, but one thing that Linda and I did was uh, there's no point both of us being tired. Um, she ended up, you know, we had the, our kids in separate rooms. We didn't have them in our room because otherwise you'll just get no sleep and in life uh, is, is not a lot of fun when you're not getting a lot of sleep and you're working and if you're trying to do any training. So that was one thing that we did that worked really well. Um, she was the one that had to suffer a bit without uh, without a lot of sleep and I tended to, you know, had to keep working and was able to keep things up a bit. Equally, though, to be able to take a bit of slack off her during the day. Uh, get yourself a good, really good indoor trainer and embrace technology. So for me, you've heard me talk about my indoor trainers a lot, but I've just, it's, without having the, the Wahoo kicker and the, the ref box and stuff, uh, training would be a lot more difficult. So making that investment, you know, a, a kicker or a really good sort of trainer, maybe 1500 bucks to get one, but I think you'll get a lot of bang for buck out of that um, because you can just you can pack in a, a really good one-hour session while your child's sleeping in another room so you can still train while your wife can, can be out there doing, uh, doing other things. Uh, get a good running buggy. Um, we have got a brand or did have a brand in New Zealand called Mountain Buggy. Once your child's old enough, you can actually get some reasonable sort of running done with a running running buddy, uh, buggy. And then one thing that's been 
good once your kids start to get a bit older. If you teach them to ride bikes from a very young age, then you can actually go out and start doing some 30, 45-minute runs while they're riding their bikes and they love it. And uh, so you can actually sneak in a little bit of easy training. So a lot of these things are just ways where you can try to sneak in short sessions and then equally, you know, just commuting to work and stuff, getting a little bit of bike volume in there and then maybe looking for your your daily setup on, on how you can be a little bit more flexible in terms of having maybe a longer lunch hour or starting or finishing work a little bit early or later just to try to sneak in little sessions here and there. But, um, yeah, just to sum it all up, I guess um, one child, you can still have expectations that you can still get a bit in, but beyond that, then life does become uh, just a little bit harder to fit everything in. And Stefan's second question was, any lessons you've learned from your um, year of getting injured so far? And I have been injured since uh, the start of May, and it's getting a little bit frustrating. But prevention is always the best method, and I don't always practice what I preach in terms of uh, doing strength and conditioning work and doing flexibility work, but if you can if you can allocate a bit more time to that, you know, really get into the discipline of stretching for 10 to 15 minutes after every single run or every single bike ride, it, in my opinion, significantly reduces the risk of injury, and that's an area where it um, kind of ties in with today's topic a bit around the kids. You just time when you get home becomes a little bit more challenging because when you walk through the door, um, just going and lying on the ground and stretching for 15 minutes all of a sudden becomes a little bit harder to do. Without kids, it's a bit easier. So uh, I think one thing I've learned from this year is I just need to be a bit more disciplined on the uh, flexibility work and making sure that I do keep up the strength and conditioning. Just a couple of things on that kids stuff. I think a a few aspects that also need to be considered is is you letting go of your dream a little bit. Um, You're expectations around what you can get from your sport and so that when there's life changes we have to understand that you know like one of the things I see a lot is guys who kind of start to get families they get disappointed in their sporting career because they're holding on to the expectations of what they had before they what they could achieve before they had the change in life and so you know like if, if you're gonna if suddenly you have this massive life change where suddenly a big chunk of your time is going to be taken up so like what John's really come up for here is is really good ways to plan to keep exercise in your life but it's going to take a lot more effort to do that and whereas when you don't have a kid you can it's much more achievable whereas you know you're going to be pretty disciplined to keep exercise and now you know us as a kind of a, a type of people are going to find that when we kind of move into our life because that's kind of this is our drug. But at the same time, there needs to be let go of a little bit of expectation and um, and just the ego around your performance because it can create this place where you just feel disappointed because you're not what you were at your peak moment. But often your peak moment before the time when you had children was based on the fact that you had a lot more time to commit to the sport. So the sport can become unenjoyable because you're not what you were. And I think it's really important that as you go into these times where you've got this life change is to just to realign your expectations and to really look at my expectations based around the timeframes I do have and then what can I expect from myself based on these so I can still feel satisfaction and enjoyment in the sport so you know that I don't move away from sport because it's just like well I'm not what I used to be because you see a lot of people do that when they have these big life changes they actually just pull away from the thing that's good for them because you know they get busy or they just don't plan very well but at this time it's actually more important you do plan this stuff really well because yeah so just, just really think about that as what can I expect of myself based on the timeframes I now have in my new life that could, call, could still keep it exciting and fun? And also, 
you know, because like what we think about when we think about like John's answer was a lot around the the movement. How do I get myself moving still? But often the sport offers so much more to my life. So for a lot of us, it's our social. You know, for a lot of us, you know, if we've got busy jobs and all the rest of it, going out and training with your mates is actually that's where you feel your social needs. And so how do you still make sure you're getting enough of your social in around the sport when you have less time to actually train so that you're fulfilling that aspect of what the sport brought to your life? So so what are all the different aspects of the that the, the, the sport brings to my life, how do I keep enough of those in, in an enjoyable way based on your time frames is something to think about. And, and we've just done an interview with um, Vinu Malik for yeah. Legends of Triathlon that'll be coming out in the next few days. Um, <coughs> oh, John! Oh, oh. <coughs> right. Um, and one thing that he mentioned, and we also had Barry Siff mention on the show, was it last week or the week before, is... It doesn't have to be Iron Man all the time. Yeah, there is it is awesome fun going out and doing sprint distance races and Olympic distance races. It requires a lot less training volume in terms of those long sessions, and it's um, you treat that as a new challenge. So, yeah, I just it it is a concern for me as well that our sport is becoming more and more centered around Iron Man, whereas. Uh, I'd much rather us see ourselves as all as triathletes rather than Ironmen and uh, and learning to love some of those shorter races because, uh, in my opinion, they're a lot of fun. So, well, I think yes. I, I also think on top of that, if, if one of the downfalls of endurance sport is longer always becomes better. You know, mm. like people always think of the next challenge and they just always think longer. And, you know, fast is a buzz, man. And when we think about satisfying workout, like there's, you know, coming home from a six hour bike ride is there's that kind of, you lie down on the bed, you're kind of screwed, but you kind of feel satisfied. But when you've done a hard like track session or you've done a hard tempo session, man, that's a buzz. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and a, in a shorter time frame, those kind of workouts can give you a real high level of expectations, a wicked fitness quality. If we look at some of the science around kind of the hits training coming out right now, it's, it's such an effective way to train your body. And then at the same time, you know, the time frame's a lot less, so you're still kind of ticking all the boxes of the sport. So mm. lots to think about. Anyway, Jombo, we could talk for hours. Sponsors. We've done the sponsors, so we've let's do our patrons. Patrons. Um, we've got, first up, we've got... <clears throat> I didn't have a surname for this one, but the person, uh, Luke, he worked, uh, it was some sort of car company or something like that. So, Luke, let us know what your surname is, but he is The Engine. Nice. Why? Because he worked for a car. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. And he's got a big engine when he goes racing as well, I'm sure. Of course. And a big heart. You know, just a good guy all around. You know, people love him. Jombo, you're controversial again because Richard Swan, a.k.a. Swanee Noah, A.K.A. Speedwalker. Yeah, we've had that, yep. He's been a regular contributor to the show. And I, I, I'm calling him Swanee Noah. I like Swanee Noah, but you can go with your 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 petty Speedwalker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan Furious Ferret. Now, I'm not sure if we gave that one to Alan or not. Alan Hodg- Hodgson, um, Furious Ferret. Yeah, I'm, 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 we must have. We must have. Double F. Nice work. Okay. Peter Curry, I'm going to have to do this one in a second, John, because I'm going to have to come back to it. So I'm going to do, uh, how do you say Michael's last name? Well, this is a question I've got for myself as well. Michael came on uh, Kona Camp a couple of years ago. Oh, so, so you no, should well, know. He's a great guy. And his surname is, I thought it was Pizzle, but it could be, I'm pretty sure it's Pizzle, um, but I called him Swizzle. So Mike, Swizzle Pizzle. <laughs> Swizzle Pizzle. <laughs> 
<laughs> this, this will stick. Uh, so I think Mike requested another name, but I think we'll stick with that. So you're just the the, the swizzle. Okay, I'm gonna go Pete Curry. Tasty good. <laughs> oh, that's weak. No, it's good. Tasty good. Oh, oh tasty good curry. There you go. <laughs> that's sensational. Pete, if you if you want another one, just email it. No, Speed Walker. Come on. Do you think Swanee Noah likes Speed Walker? Oh, he loves it. Tasty he loves good. It, it tasty motivates good. him every time he goes out there. I'm going to show that John Newsom that I'm going to kick his butt. And he tends to. Let's be honest when it comes to the running. Well, he does it from time to time. And Murray, the holy hammer lapwork. Oh, that's a golden nickname. That's a golden nickname. Guys, if you want to be a patron of the show, and we really do appreciate the people who have been patron, it really does help. It's hard, it's hard for us to get sponsors in the podcasting world. And if someone wants to sponsor Legends of Triathlon, feel free to contact us. But, um, you know, like it is, you know, it's a, it, podcasting is a, a small kind of an interesting world because we're such a niche market and people love us. But uh, unfortunately, the mainstream sponsors have never really kind of jumped on board podcasting yet. Hopefully in the future it will. But that's why the things like the patrons make a big difference in helping us get the show out there and for those who already have we just appreciate that you would give some of your hard earned money to support the show and those who haven't and may want to go to www.imtalk.me click on the link on the patrons page you'll see there's lots of different options that you can choose and then you can do can become patron and as always you'll then go in the drawer to win to come to Kona next year with John and Bev and uh, it'll be really fantastic mm. Jombo sponsors are Athletes.com Social networking for endurance athletes Extreme endurance Your lactic buffer And our team of patrons The cool crew Jombo, what's your goss? I am loving the Tour de France, Bevan I saw this crashes last night Oh, don't tell me anything about last night This is my daily challenge Oh, the top ten All all out (laughs) (laughs) My daily challenge is to try to not to watch the news uh, During the day so I can get on there and I'm loving now. I've got Sky Go, which you can, I can I can watch replays and stuff on my on laptop internet. from our, and so I can just get it now. I'm just going to be getting on the trainer every day. And, Have you got un- and unlimited it. internet? It doesn't. It does not very high quality. It's not super high quality, mm. so it doesn't doesn't cheer you up too much. I, I hope. I hope. Yeah, yeah. But what was cool yesterday? It was my birthday yesterday. Oh, happy birthday! How old? Yeah, I'm waiting. Oh, sort of one year away from the big four zero. Are you going to have a fortieth? Well, I'm going to be in France. I'm going to be oh. at Epic Camp in France, and that's going to be my 40th. I'll be going to be riding up Avoriaz and uh, Morzine on my 40th, so I'm looking forward to Did that. Did you get anything for your birthday? I got uh, – this, this was a great thing. I got a mountain bike for my birthday. Oh, back it, it up. Just a, a fairly cheap and cheerful one. You know, pretty much not bottom bottom of the line, not like from your, your, your sort of target or warehouse or anything, but it's just a, a very basic one. Was this just a ride with the kids? The, the, and the, we, we played it out. The kids still don't know that I actually got it. They think that Mum got it for me, and uh, and they they thought it was a great surprise um, because they they hid it out the back and stuff and put some ribbons on it. And then in the morning, so I got up yesterday and uh, I was just doing a little bit of work. And Thomas gets up very early and he comes down to my office and says, "Dad." get out of your office. No working on your birthday. That was the first thing he said to me. And then he said, let's go upstairs and watch Tour de France. And Aww. so we turned the Tour de France on. And he, he thought it was a great joke that the Tour de France is on and the, the sponsor that produces the coverage is, a, is the bike barn which sells bikes in New Zealand and they, the adverts come on and they're saying, and we've got this massive sale on, 50% off mountain bikes. And Tom's sitting there giggling away says, Dad, you should get a mountain bike. <laughs> and this is before I've opened up my presents. So I've got a mountain did you, bike. Did you do a good surprise? 
I did. You like you, you played the game pretty well. They thought they they still think it's hilarious, and uh, got myself some some nice thermal socks and a Tour de France book. So uh, oh, nice. it's all good. Oh, very mm. good. But loving the Tour de France, it's fantastic. Who's going to win it? Oh, you kind of got to think Froome probably. So yeah, it's uh, it just should be a good tour though. Looking forward to it. How much how much coverage is there each day? Uh, they generally have the last two. Well, they have the whole thing if you want to watch the whole thing. But I tend to watch just the 30-minute highlight package on the flat stages, and then they've got the two-hour coverage that I can sort of watch when I'm on the trainer as well. So it's it's good times. I'm loving it. Very good. Outside of goes. that, outside of that, just got to stop eating so much. We went out for my birthday meal, and I ate so much food. I think I was almost sick. <laughs> and uh, so, John, there's a common theme. I think you've got, I think you've got, you've got a problem. <laughs> Where'd you go for dinner? Gustav's. I've never heard of it. It was good. It's in the tannery. Nice, really nice place. So it was all good. We were the only people in the whole restaurant. Oh, that sucks, doesn't it? It's on a Sunday night, but it worked out okay. We've got, we've, we, we live, for those who don't know, uh, we live in where I live. It's we're on, we're on the hill, and there's a really popular coffee shop called The Cup, which is it's got beautiful views. It's a really cool place, and they've tried to open a restaurant at night. And and I'm not quite sure what kind of market they've gone for, but it's dead all the time, <laughs> you know. And you drive past, and not every night of the week, but it's open maybe three nights a week for dinner. And you'll be lucky to see three people and you know three groups in at one time. And you, a you think well, it's such a booming cafe during the day, so they could probably afford to have a lost leader. But it's been happening for about six or seven months now, and it's not really growing. And saying that, they've done no marketing. They've Never put anything in our mailbox, and we're literally a hundred meters away from the place, so you know they haven't really marketed themselves well around it. But you do think it, it does take something away from a restaurant when it's empty, doesn't it? Mm, it does. Yeah. It's just yeah. Luckily, they didn't push us through or anything, and it, was, it ended up working out okay. So, and apparently, what, you made they made lots of profit because you ate so much. They, they did do okay, yeah. Um, but thankfully, Blinda's doing dry July, so the bill was not as much as it usually. How's is. the trading going? I was talking to Jen; she's hurt a foot. Yeah, they're going all right. They're about to go out for a two and a half hour run, I think. Today they're testing out the end. Uh, testing out the end. They've got to have their their Camelback sort of fuel belty type backpacks on um, yep. for the for their runs. So they're testing them out today. They went out and purchased them last week. So they're uh, yeah, they're going okay. Good luck, girls. Good luck. Mm. Good luck. Any gossip for you, Bevan? Uh, what's my gossip? I saw Christine McKinley last week. John had my yep. my yearly check up at the dentist. Mm-hmm. She was well impressed. She said, these are the best teeth ever. Very good. She taught me, and I'm a good flosser, and I've talked to you about flossing, John. Yeah, if you're yeah, someone who's yeah. listened to us and doesn't floss, sort your crap out, because mm-hmm. we have way too much sugar in our sport, and you need to floss. And she was telling me, John, this is an interesting fact, kids tend to get more problems at the top of their teeth, because mm-hmm. when they first come up, they're, just, they're not strengthened, they take a while to strengthen, that's why most kids get fillings at the top. Adults get fillings down the side of their teeth, because they don't mm-hmm. floss. Mm-hmm. So, John, she was well impressed with my floss teeth. Because I was very, I, was, I felt like a proud. She made me one of those little butterfly things, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And I put a wall oh, around nice. all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was very good. Um, what's your rugby on Saturday night? Outstanding. Who, who do you want to win? The 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 not the bloody Hurricanes. The um, the Highlanders. Yep. it was a fantastic game of rugby. It was really tense, wasn't it? Mm, yep. Great so game. That went down to the to elevate or what's it called now? Protocol and hit a big burger, which was good. Um, what else is happening, John? Um, starting my training for the idea of doing a marathon. Mm-hmm. At this stage, that's all it is, is an idea of doing a marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to see if my body can handle a bit of running first. So I'm, I'm aiming 
for the next couple of weeks, just three runs a week. And then, uh, it's, and then it'll be a bit of, a, of an overload towards the, end of the program. You know, it's a little frustrating. I was supposed to be running the Wellington Marathon last weekend. Yeah. And last time I ran a marathon, I went uh, 238 something or other. Yep. Wellington Marathon at the weekend, winning time, two hours 40. Oh, no way. <laughs> now, was it, it a slow day? It was. It sounded like there was a bit of headwind towards. It. it was a nice day, but it sounded like there was a little bit of headwind. But I, if I'd been on my top game, you would have been competitive. Think I would have been right in the mix. Imagine if you would have won the marathon. Cool. Pretty cool. It's not. It's not. This is not like a world class marathon, but it's just still a reasonable size. Oh, there'll be thousands of people do it. Yeah. So it would have been pretty. I'm cool sure I'm going to get an email from Swanee Noah saying, "Wow, John would have probably done a, a 250 in that, that kind of oh, condition." Come on, it's a flat course. It's a bit of wind. He can't. He can't talk. He went over to Gold Coast and blew up. Oh, did he? Old Swanee, I'm oh. expecting the big performance, but he went to the GC and blew. So that's the thing. I'm like, I, I may end up doing the Queenstown Marathon. I'm not making that decision yet. I've got to. I want to run for six weeks before I really make any stupid decisions yet. But um, the, the goal is a really interesting thing for me right now because my ability is, you know, far from what it was when I was at my peak, and I haven't really done consistent running in a while. Three hours. I've got to do a three hour. Like I'd be hugely disappointed mm. to do three hours. But I'm thinking probably a 250 is probably a, a healthy goal based on the time frames that I can set for for the you know for training. Um, so, but we'll, we'll find you know, over the next period of time. I'll give you guys update because I don't want to do a Newsome get injured <laughs> and, pull, and pull out. But we'll, time will tell, John. Time will tell. Really, my more important thing is I need to practice my band songs a bit more because last night I was crap, and I'm a, I'm a member of a band team, and I can't let the band down. Sort it out. Sort it out. Anyway, guys, this week we'll have uh, Legends of Triathlon coming out, so look out for that. Vinu Malik, who is the guy behind Fuel Belt, tells us all about how that started. So loving the stuff. So check it out on legendsoftriathlon.com. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Rust. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kaha.